Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. There's a swing and a miss by Smith. He chases up and out of the zone and Flaherty's got back-to-back strikeouts. Strike three, Garcia's frozen, four punch outs for Jack Flaherty. Swing and a miss, takes care of Alex Cole. And we are back alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I am Brandon Kylie. It is so very good to be with you all here on a Monday morning. Uh, so Jack Flaherty, speaking of being back, T-Bone might've been right, Alex. It took a while, but T-Bone might have actually been right. Jack Flaherty has looked fantastic of late. In his last 11 starts, Alex, he's gone about 65 innings, has a 3.2 ERA. And Alex, do you mind if I share with you some of the players that Jack Flaherty has been better than if in this stretch of 11 starts? If there's one thing I've missed over the last 10, 12 days, it's BK's comps to players that have underperformed. Oh, here we go. Some guys that have been worse than Jack Flaherty over the last six weeks. Shane McClanahan, Garrett Cole, Lucas Giolito, Dylan Cease, Max Scherzer, Logan Gilbert, George Kirby, Zach Gallen, Corbin Burns, Zach Wheeler, some Shohei Otani character, this Spencer Strider guy, I think you might have heard of him. Aaron Nola, Shane Bieber, Pablo Lopez, a who's who of starting pitchers that have been worse than one Jack Flaherty over the course of the last six weeks. This is where I want to begin today, Alex. Sounds like a cherry pick. So he has a 3.3 ERA. The FIP, FIP is the exact same at 3.3 in this stretch. He is performing like a legitimate number one starter right now. My question to you, can he pitch his way into the Cardinals' plans? (laughs) Come on, let let him finish the question. Sorry, it's like answering the the question in Jeopardy before he finishes the actual question. Sorry, go ahead, BK. So your answer is no. There is no way for Jack Flaherty to pitch his way into your plans because the reason I ask this T-Bone has talked all about how Lucas Giolito is his guy, right? He wants to he wants to attach T-Bone's three oh. to Lucas Giolito. <laughs> that is the player that he wants to bet on for the future of the Cardinals rotation. Well, Lucas Giolito is basically Jack Flaherty, but in a different name. So if you want to bet on Giolito, do they just bet on Jack Flaherty instead? Do they keep the guy internally that they already have here? 
I mean, sure, if you want to, because if you're going to go off of that comp and say, well, you're just going to go out there and sign a guy who has performed worse than this individual, so why not just keep this individual? That's great. But I just look at this Cardinals team and say a change is needed. And first of all, you've got to trade Jack Flaherty. You're not going anywhere near the playoffs this season. He's a pending free agent and a pitcher who is pitching better than all of those names that you... Hold on, I think we hear something. Uh, I think we figured it out. I don't know what that was. I don't know what that was. We had some weird audio going on there. Anyway, the problem with this is you've got a pending free agent that everybody is going to desire that's a contending team. So I'm trading that guy no matter if he pitches like Babe Ruth the rest of the way. He's going to get traded. But if you want to go down the path of, oh, well, do you maybe try and entertain the path of bringing him back? I wouldn't because you haven't done any winning with Jack Flaherty. Now, 2019, great. He pitched outstanding, and you won the series against the Atlanta Braves. But since then, he's pitched in two postseasons, and you haven't gone anywhere. And he's been your ace. So this guy that we're sitting here acting like, oh, he's pitching great. What if you you need pitching? Let's bring him back. I'm not because you haven't gone anywhere with Jack Flaherty and it's time to put some new faces and new names in a rotation that needs a lot more help than what it has right now. Yeah. And look, even though Jack is pitching well, there's no doubt you've got to train because he's one of the best assets that's going to be on the market. And even then I don't want to bring him back because I think it is just time for change. And I'm not even saying change because he's been bad. I'm saying change because they just need something different. And even if Lucas Giolito has the same stuff as Jack, a new face, in a new place might be what this team really needs in this rotation. Did you mean to rhyme there? No, but it, it really rolled off the tongue. So, uh, But I, I would just move on from Jack Flaherty. I would just move on from Montgomery. I would just move on from Jordan Hicks. All these guys that could be pending you phase, I don't think you even have conversations with them to bring them back. I, I think you just trade them off, let them go, shake their hand, and say thank you for being here in St. Louis. We just need to change things. We just need to kind of a culture change in this rotation. It's time for us to just bring in new faces. That's how I feel as well. I presented all of the information, of course, to play the devil's advocate side of things. But Which we know you will. I I really don't see any reason to bring Jack back. I just think it's run its course. I think sometimes it's okay to just make change for change's sake. Like, do I think Lucas Giolito, if I had to bet one or the other for the next five years, who's better, Jack Flaherty or Lucas Giolito? I, I, I think it's like a 50-50 proposition. I, I don't know who I would bet on. I, I think that you could bet on either side and there's fair reason to go that way. It would be like even odds for either side. But I would rather bet on Giolito here in St. Louis just to find out if it's something different that can work here. Because I would like to see the guy that has not yet failed in a Cardinals uniform. I think it's great that Jack is pitching well. I hope like hell for him and for everybody else that Jack ends up having a great rest of his career. But I just don't think it should be here in St. Louis. I think that what this helps is his trade value. What you're seeing right now, like if I'm John Mosaylock, I'm using those cherry pick stats that I just brought to you over his last 11 games, not conveniently including the blow up against the Angels to go to the 12th game because it was atrocious. But I'm including those last 11 games and I'm looking at everybody else and saying, hey, do you guys want a McClanahan, a Giolito, a Cole, Cease, Scherzer, Gilbert, Kirby, Gallen, Burns, Wheeler, Otani, Strider, Nola, Bieber, Lopez? And the answer to from every general manager across Major League Baseball would be, yeah, of course we want one of those guys. Well, I've got one available. Or at least he's pitched to that degree over the course of the last six weeks. And we've seen in the past, when Jack is on, he can be really, really effective. 
But this is not the previous Jack Flaherty. It's not the same swing and miss stuff that we've seen. His swing and miss is down at a significant degree. He's not even striking out a batter per inning at this point. He's allowing opposing hitters, even in this 11-game stretch, to bat 270 against him. Really what he's changed, Alex, what's gotten better for Jack Flaherty, he's just not allowing the same extra base hits. And yes, he deserves credit for that, but I don't want to bet on it long term because we've seen that can revert back to the same uh, to the opposite direction. And if he loses any command because his shoulders bark in or for whatever reason, he just doesn't have his fastball. Everything starts to uh, decrease from there. I would not bet on Jack Flaherty. This is great for the Cardinals because it allows them to get more in return in terms of the trade deadline. And that's all this has to be for them. We don't have to make it anything more. Absolutely. I mean, this is the best thing that could happen for the Cardinals is to get Jack Flaherty performing anywhere near the 2019 form of Jack Flaherty so that you can raise that price. Just like we talked about with Doug Armstrong and the Blues, where, look, it sucks the season you're going through, but how rare does your team play poorly enough where you have some of the most desirable free agents on the market at the trade deadline that's how you can expedite this resurfacing that the Cardinals are trying to accomplish. And if you sit here and say, well, man, we really don't want to move on from Jack Flaherty. Now that he's pitching so well, we might need him next year. Let's just re-sign him for one more season. No, because then next season, what if he falls apart again? I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm still a little worried that the 140 plus innings he pitched in a matter of three seasons happens again next year. And you could get assets for this because teams become desperate at the trade deadline. And now you've got a lot of pieces that other teams want. Make that trade, bring in the assets that you can back and then reestablish your pitching staff, either at the trade deadline by making another trade or going into the free agent market, get new faces, stop with this same cycle of the same guys every fifth day for the last three seasons. And it sounds like they're starting that cycle already. Katie Wu tweeted this out earlier today. The Cardinals are designated left-handed reliever Hennessy Cabrera for assignment. He's been with the team since 2019. She adds, quote, this is a surprising move given the presumed trade interest, though he can still be traded within seven days of being designated for assignment. Alex, I think this is the beginning of what is going to be a very active trade deadline for the Cardinals. I think somebody will end up trading for Cabrera. Now, I don't think you're going to get a lot for him. I think it'll be a either a player to be named later, maybe cash considerations where it's like a more significant sum of cash that the Cardinals are getting in return. Uh, maybe it is something like a... I remember, who was it when they got Juan Yepes that they traded? Adams. Um, Adams. Matt Adams. Maybe something like that where at the time, Juan Yepes was just like a, a high A ball player hey, that had a little Munoz. bit of upside. Yeah, Wasn't something there? like that, what? where you could get you could get somebody that's got a little bit of upside that's in the lower level of the minors. I think that's what you should be expecting here. Did it come as a surprise to me that they decided to DFA Hennessy Cabrera? It certainly did. I'm guessing there's something more to this story than just, hey, we decided on a random Monday that it's time for us to go ahead and DFA a guy that has, while not pitched particularly well, pitched a decent amount of innings for us. I'm sure there was something that led to this decision, and I, I, I think it's probably time for both parties to go ahead and move on. Yeah, well, yeah. The, the only problem and why this seems so confusing is the Cardinals don't have any other healthy pitchers that they can bring up and put into right. this situation because all of these guys, I think I saw somebody put out there that the next guy available that would be coming off the injured list was James Nail. So you don't have options, but something happened beyond baseball with Henesis Cabrera that led to this. But maybe this is opportunities for some guys. Maybe they're finally going to just say, hey, Zach Thompson might be a bullpen pitcher. 
Give him some opportunities there. Maybe you have to Matthew Levertor is that bullpen pitcher, but that's the only confusing part with it is it's not like you have five, six, seven, eight, nine guys that you're trying to figure out in your minors. Everybody you've seen is who you have right now that's ready for this opportunity, and now you cut one out. Who's taking that spot? Yeah, and for them, you make this move, you can free up a 40-man spot, add somebody to it, like a Ryan Lutas who's in the minor leagues, someone of that ilk, bring up a project, see what you got in the bullpen, because as much as we talk about the starting pitching, the bullpen is going to be revamped this offseason, and as BK said, this is kind of the start of it here right before we get to the deadline, and they can just bring up somebody, see what they've got in the minor leagues, and then begin the process of trying to revamp this bullpen, which is going to be a big topic of conversation once you get to the deadline and in the offseason. Yeah, it's not a 40-man situation, but my guess is for the 26-man active roster, they'll probably go ahead and activate Tyler O'Neill this week. That's probably who will end up taking the spot of Genesis Cabrera. Um, so that'll be your, I would assume, corresponding move. And then I don't even know that they'll use his 40-man spot right now. I think this is something where they'll wait to see what they do at the trade deadline and then potentially go ahead and uh, replace him on the 40-man whenever that deadline uh, comes and goes because they're going to have to add a whole lot of players via the deadline. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. If you guys want to get involved to the show, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to do so. You guys can also check us out. We are live on YouTube. Go ahead and go over to YouTube.com and then search 101 ESPN STL. That's 101 ESPN STL. That is the new way to watch us, whether you're at work, you're on your phone, whatever it might be. Go ahead and check us out on our live YouTube channel. Coming up next, what are the Cardinals actually willing to sell? Alex, we've talked about this a bit in the past. The further that we get, the more it sounds like they're going to be clinging on to these major league assets, though. What's the point of that? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hope Lars Newbar kind of solidifies himself in the second half that he's standing next to Jordan Walker in the outfield guaranteed opening day next year. Because while his on base is always strong, I think there's more in the tank. Great kid. We love the personality. But I would love my comp for him is my comp. And I think this is the ceiling that he could be. I think a young Andy Vance like. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That was Greg Amsinger last week on The Morning Show talking about what he hopes Lars Newtbar eventually becomes. Alex, the Cardinals decided to give up early on Andy Vanslyke, and what he ended up becoming for the Pittsburgh Pirates was a three-time All-Star, and in his career there was 25% above league average offensively. Andy Vanslyke was a really good major leaguer. And the Cardinals gave up early on that one. They decided to, to move him out. The concern would be if they decide to do that with Lars Newtbar, Nolan Gorman, Brendan Donovan, maybe Dylan Carlson. Those guys could go on elsewhere to become really good major leaguers. And then you have to live it all over again with the next player that becomes Adolis Garcia or Randy or Rosarena or so many other oppor- or so many other examples of this. Alex, eventually they're going to have to give up on somebody, though. And when I look at some of the gluts that they have, they have one with left-handed hitters, with Donovan, Gorman, Newt Bar, Burleson. 
When you look at their DH or corner outfielder situation with Burleson, Gomez, O'Neal, Yepes, Donovan, Gorman, Contreras, all these guys playing DH occasionally, and then they've got a couple of positions that they can play elsewhere. Luke and Baker maybe fits into that criteria. They have to filter through this stuff. And my concern with the more that I read some of these reports is that they're going to continue doing what they've done in the past, where they say, you know what, mm, we understand that we need to move on from some of these guys, but we really like them. And while other teams might be willing to give us a little something for them, it's not what we're looking for. And even as we come and go with this trade deadline, which is a unique opportunity for the Cardinals to actually sell, I do have some hesitancy about their willingness to move on from the players that are necessary. And that's been my concern all along with this when we weren't sure if they were going to be sellers. And then when we knew they were going to be sellers and, and let's look, kind of look at the, the line of progression here. We find out from John Mosaic during that all-star break in his interview with Martin Kilcoin that they're going to start changing their models. Okay, great. It sounds like they're going to start being willing to move away from guys despite a couple of years ago saying, Oh no, we can't let, we don't want to take the chance of this guy becoming a Randy Rosarena again. And then Derek, Gould's piece drops to where, well, we don't feel like we're going to be moving on from our core pieces. Makes sense. But then Lars Nupar names goes in there. And then you start hearing Tommy Edmonds name of how much they love him. And then guess what? Brendan Donovan has a really good weekend against the Nationals. His name starts popping up again. The problem with all of this is as we go further and further to August 1st on the trade deadline, I can see the Cardinals stringing wins together and putting hope in people, false hope in people that this team can actually make a run at the second half and maybe get in. And you know what happens? They don't trade any of their pieces. Or maybe they do sell off on Montgomery and Flaherty and still show that bold move. But then you get to the offseason and teams are calling for Lars Nootbaar and Brendan Donovan and Dylan Carlson and the Cardinals say, nah, we made that run towards the end and these guys were contributing factors to it. So we feel like these guys are going to help us get to where we want to go in 2024. So we're not going to do it. And instead, we're going to go spend money in the market and just get some mid-tier starters. And guess what, guys? We're going around the same circle again over and over. At some point, you can't manage scared. And I understand that a Rosarena and Alcantara and Gallon and Adolis Garcia, they all bit you. But this is a new time now, and you need to start making bold moves. And bold moves mean trading guys you don't want to trade away so that you can upgrade, significantly upgrade, in areas that are weaker than others. Yeah, my concern with the Cardinals at the deadline is with Carlson and Nupar and guys like that. Because I, I think with Carlson and O'Neal, I think when we talked to Mo on our show back in, what was it, like June, I think was when we talked to him. To me, I got the sense that they were ready to move on from Carlson and, and O'Neal. My fear, though, with Carlson is when they start getting a bunch of calls and people are actually interested in Dylan Carlson, the Cardinals think to themselves, oh, no, what if we're misevaluating something? Because everybody else seems to like Dylan Carlson, so let's not move on from him. Because that, that is my biggest fear. Is that I think some of these players that we're talking about, a Donovan, a Edmund, a uh, Burleson, and I would even throw Newt Bar in this category, but I can kind of see where the Cardinals would come from on him. Yeah, basically Carlson, all the good pieces. All, all these players... Like, I think their upside is like they're like a solid everyday player, like maybe 5-10% above league average. The pieces like you're wanting to potentially move on from, like those are guys that I would say, okay, I get it, but you have so many of them. Go ahead and take that risk and move on. And if your concern is losing the trade, well, here's the thought. Just go out and win the trade. Like the whole the Randy Rosarena deal that they, the, they look back on and they're scared of, well, if you acquire a legitimate stud pitcher, not a 4A Matthew Libertor, we're not talking about that trade as much. If Libertor had panned out, I guess, the way they thought he was, which was like a three, apparently, in their eyes, 
then we're not even talking about a Randy Rosarena as much as we do now. And that's the biggest thing for me is they're so afraid to lose the trade and so afraid that they are misevaluating that they just will hold on to these pieces till they're devalued too much. Like, I think they waited too long on Tyler O'Neill. They're not going to get as much as they could have for O'Neill because they waited too long. Yeah, I, I think they've done this with a lot of guys. I, I think Juan Yepes is somebody that they just waited too long. Yeah. They, they waited too long to deal him. Like, if you had traded him at the beginning of the offseason, I think you could have gotten far more for Juan Yepes than what you're going to get for him now. Um, with Lars Newtbar, like, I like Newt. I would not have wanted to trade him in the offseason. But when you look back on it now, guys, if they had traded, like, a Lars Newtbar, for example, and maybe another piece, if they had just kept the negotiations going with the Oakland A's, and they ended up getting Sean Murphy instead of Wilson Contreras. I don't think that solves all of their problems. I think they are still in a similar situation today where we're not feeling great about their their situation. But it, it, you feel better long term about where they're at with Sean Murphy behind the plate than where they are currently with Wilson Contreras back there. And they just eventually have to make these difficult decisions. Like, who are the left-handed hitters that you want long term? I think that's something that the Cardinals need to ask themselves. Because right now you've got Donovan, Gorman, Newt Barberlison. Do you need all four of those guys? No, it's Donovan and Gorman. That's who I would say. It's either Donovan and Gorman or Donovan and Burleson. That's who I would say you're going to go with. And maybe you want three of them. That's you, fine. You can't have I've got no problem. You, you can. <laughs> like I, I think you can. But I, you, eventually you've got to pick. Like You've, you've got to choose at least get down to three. You've got to get rid of one of those guys, I think. Who's the utility guy that you want long-term? Do you want Donovan? Do you want Edmund? Do you view Edmund as a utility player? What is his role in the long-term? Who is your DH long-term? Is it Contreras? Is it Gorman? Is it Baker? Is it Yepes? Is it Gomez? Is it Burleson? Like, who is it? Eventually, you've got to start making decisions. It's really nice to say, look at this depth that we have. That's great. And being able to utilize your pieces is important. But the Cardinals have too many of those pieces right now that aren't contributing. And at a certain point in time, you have to flip those players for guys that are actually going to help your major league roster. Alex, one of my biggest frustrations with the Cardinals over the last decade, really, has been their unwillingness to prioritize their major league roster. Far too often, you get decisions like they made this year with Zach Thompson where they say, you know what, we're going to go ahead and hold on to Zach Thompson because we we value him, but instead of using him in the major league level, we're going to send him back down and try to make him into a starter again. Because why? Nobody really knows. Nobody can explain it. He's not a good starter. It did not work. It has not worked. It will not work. He's not a good major league starting pitcher. He's not a good AAA starting pitcher. So, but for some reason, they continue doing this. What are they doing with Juan Yepes right now? He's a AAA player. What are they doing with Luke and Baker right now? He's down in AAA again. Make decisions. You have to make the tough decisions in order to make the major league roster the best possible. And they are unwilling or unable to do those. Because I think they're managing scared. Because they don't want to make the mistakes that they've made in the past. And unfortunately, when you do that, you're not going to have any success. You're not growing anywhere. It, it seems like the Cardinals are too, too concerned to isolate one problem and fix the other, meaning they know that their offense is awesome and they know that their pitching is bad. But right now, with all of these names coming out more and more, they seem to be scared of, well, if we trade all of these guys to fix this issue, then that's going to be a problem. And that tells me that you just have, you don't have a deep enough system 
to contend. You don't have a deep enough system to when certain areas get traded so that you can upgrade one area that you've got the next core of guys coming up to help. Because we've heard last week T-Bone Kyle Reese tell us the pitching's nowhere near ready. And the only guy you're hoping for is Tank Hens. The rest are five starters. Well, that doesn't scream, well, let's get a couple of guys and then the rest are going to help. And then when it comes to, to the the offensive side of things or even the defensive side of things, your outfield has been the same four or five guys you've been cycling because you have no other outfielders that you trust. So they won't make moves that hurt this area if it's going to better this area because then they don't know how to fix that area. And that's when you start managing scared and you don't get out of that. Yeah. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. T-Bone, one thing on this real quick. I want to get to you here in just a moment. Um, but this comes from the 636. Guys, you demand that the Cardinals make decisions, but then when they do, they make mistakes like trading Randy or Rosarena. This is not a fear problem. It's an inability to properly analyze talent problem. Amen. I think the two go hand in hand, actually. I think that it's almost like the 2023 St. Louis Cardinals season is personified by the Cardinals management. And what I mean by that is the Cardinals got off to such a terrible start that they they put so much pressure on themselves. They got so far behind the eight ball that they were never going to be able to make it back. 10 and 24, it, that, that ruined the season. There was no coming back from that at any point. I think the same is true for the Cardinals front office right now. The Cardinals front office, because of the ghosts of the outfield past, they are scared of making the same mistake again. Because they traded Randy Orozarena and in return got a 4A pitcher, they are afraid that the next guy that they trade, they will have the same results. Just because you trade somebody does not mean that they become one of the most recognizable faces in Major League Baseball the way that Orozarena has. Dylan Carlson might just be a platoon bat. Lars Newbar might just be a solid outfielder that gets on base at a high clip. Tyler O'Neill might just be a guy that once every three years, everything clicks and he becomes an MVP candidate. And then for the next two years, plays 60 games. That is every bit as likely, probably more likely than the, these guys becoming the next Randy or Rosarena. So I, I think it is true that it was a properly analyzing talent problem, but I think their inability to analyze a Rosarena has now paralyzed them from making the correct decisions. And that's where I was going to go was the talent evaluation. And the Rosarena and the Garcia ones, I can understand to a point where they kind of become scared of that because, one, you misevaluated the talent you had, but two, you didn't give that talent an opportunity. These guys have had opportunity. Like, Carlson is at 1,400 plate appearances at the big leagues. Yes, he is young as a player. He is not Major League Baseball young. He's had plenty of opportunity. The same can be said now for a large new bar. He's getting opportunity. He's in year three now. I, I think the problem for the Cardinals is is it's a miss. It's the inability to evaluate what they have. And for whatever reason, they always seem to have. And maybe, again, this is just us covering them every day. It feels like every time we talk to somebody that covers prospects, they always say a lower ceiling for any player that we ask them about than what the Cardinals tell you about. Like Carlson, for example. I look at him, and I agree with BK. I think he's a platoon bat that can be a solid defensive player that can only hit left-handed pitching because I have 1,400 plate appearances that tell me he can't hit a right-hander. And yet the Cardinals keep believing that he's going to turn that around. And I think the same can be said for a large new part. Yes, he's an analytical darling, but some of even his analytical darling statistics on baseball savant have come down. I, I think when you look at him, he's a guy that's going to be a solid player. And that's fine, but if you can get something in return that you think is higher value than for a solid player – 
you do it. And, and they continue to just go off of, we've got our two superstars, we're going to build with complementary pieces around them. Okay, but that's not working, and that's where we get to this model that they talk about. So I, I think for them it is more so, I think they are scared, and I think they're scared because of the mistake of mis-evaluating talent. And I would just tell them, guys, you've seen it on the field. It is time to decide and make those decisions that BK was just clamoring for. Yeah, it, it's past time. Like they, they have already, and some of this is just, it's a sunk cost, and they missed on certain things. And that's the way that the baseball works sometimes, as a manager once told us. But eventually, you got to make some of these decisions. And this year's trade deadline is a perfect opportunity to do exactly that. Coming up in about 15 minutes, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. If you guys have any questions, get them in now on the Air Comfort Service text line. But next, it's Alex's favorite topic, the St. Louis fourth line. And now I'm ready to talk about it because they might just be the best fourth line in the NHL. All right, let's time time to get excited. We'll do it next year on 101 ESPN. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill, FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Feel, I feel maybe a little consistency and kind of uh, playing the game that, that I know that St. Louis Blues wants to play. I feel like they, they kind of lost that a little bit and, and hopefully I can help uh, getting getting the guys back on track and being the hard hard team to play against like the Blues were uh, uh, when we won the Cup. So uh, hopefully I can help out with that as much as possible. That was Oscar Sundquist last week on the fast lane talking about what he believes he can bring to the St. Louis Blues. And alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Uh, Alex, I have not been able to talk with you yet about Oscar Sundquist signing back in St. Louis. First of all, the easiest signing in the world to predict. <laughs> that This one made all the sense in the world. It was just a matter of how the rest of the NHL valued him. And when you saw, okay, it's likely he's going to have to take a one-year deal. It's likely he's going to have to take the veteran minimum. He was never going anywhere other than St. Louis. So that part makes a lot of sense. The other part of this that I really enjoy is what it means for the Blues' fourth line. Because you look back at last year, and the Blues tried Torpchenko and Pitlick and Walker and Levo and Brown and Alexandrov and Highmore and so many others on that fourth line. It just never really came together. They never trusted it. They never wanted to put them out there in important situations, and they never had any sort of an identity. 
You look at the way that they are constructed right now, Alex. That fourth line is Torpchenko, Sonny, and Blay, and you can write that in pin for opening night. I love the way that that could potentially come together for this team. For the first time in, what, four years? I think that the Blues finally have constructed a legit fourth line that we can go into the season knowing exactly how they're going to play and exactly who's going to be a part of it. Yeah, uh, Craig Berube has not had a fourth line that he trusts since pre-COVID. That final year before Alexander Steen retired and really in that season, he didn't play. Steen didn't in that bubble tournament and that was when the fourth line really started to downfall. Now you still had Sunquist and Barbashev, but those guys got a little bit more responsibility and we remember the Kyle Clifford era that was brought in and Dakota Joshua went through it. Like we went through a slew of names and Craig Berube never trusted them. You never saw those guys play more than 10 minutes a night. You never saw them late in the third period, and they were never a part of five on five. And special teams was so sporadic. That changed this offseason for the Blues. Now, coming into the offseason, I didn't know how it was going to look because personally, I didn't think they were going to bring in Sunquist because he was a centerman and they have plenty of centermen that it seemed like they were very high on. But then when they signed Sonny, that told me, okay, they want more predictability on that fourth line. And if you go through it, Sammy Blay is going to be a fourth liner for you. And I know it doesn't sound like he should be, but Sammy Blay will be a fourth liner because you don't have anybody else who should play on the fourth line. Torpchenko is going to be who everybody wants to see. And then you've got Oscar Sundquist. Those are three guys that play penalty kill and will get significant minutes on the penalty kill, specific Sundquist and Torpchenko. Those are guys that can play on the power play, doubt they will, maybe just a Sammy Blay on the second unit, but then you've got the five-on-five responsibility, and that's where I think Craig Berube is going to love having Oscar Sundquist back. Late in the third period, if you're down by a goal or up by a goal, it will not surprise me if he's throwing those three out there in any situation because it comes down to the ability to win face-offs. It comes down to the responsibility on the ice on both sides of the ice. And frankly, if you look at how Craig Berube has utilized fourth lines in the past, you're talking about a line that's going to play somewhere between 13 and 14 minutes a night, which he has not had the luxury of having in a while. Yeah, I, I don't know that it'll be quite as high, but even if we just differentiate on like 12 versus 14, uh, neither here nor there. The The biggest thing to me, Alex, is just like, you mentioned the penalty kill. Man, that was one of the biggest issues for the Blues last season. If you could just fix one thing for them. It's almost like if you could fix the penalty kill for the Blues and the defense for the Cardinals, and you just like forget about everything else. And they're not the only issues. There are other problems with both teams. The Blues defensive core was a liability last season. The Cardinals pitching this season is a complete liability every single night. But if you were able to fix the Cardinals defense and you fix the Blues penalty kills, I think both teams make the playoffs. If like you, point blank period. If you fix the penalty kill, like let's just take the team that you had last year and say rather than being 29th in the National Hockey League on the penalty kill, you're 13th, 14th, top half. You're adding at least five or six wins to your season, maybe more. I'm just undervaluing that a little bit. But that's talking about a team that's closer to a playoff spot. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. And we went through this last week, BK. When you look at the penalty killers, the last time that that penalty kill was fifth best in the National Hockey League, Marco Scandella had the most minutes. If he's healthy, that's fixing your penalty kill. 
But Oscar Sundquist was the second most minutes of any forward on that team when the penalty kill was fifth best. Now you're putting him in there. You're putting in a younger Torepchenko who is a very responsible player. And you've got Sammy Blay who could be penalty killers for you. Does two things. Gives you more guys that you can use, which takes a toll and a load off of the main guys so that you can focus them at five-on-five play rather than the penalty kill. When I look at what they were able to do, Alex, I'm trying to do a little bit of math here. So the Blues were at a 72% on the PK last year. They ended up allowing 61 power play goals against. If they had been like the league average on those instead of where they were at, so not even a great unit, but a league average unit, yeah. they allow 14 fewer goals over the course of the season. That's massive, yeah. dude. Look at their goal differential. If Add the 14 goals that were taken off, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't have the standings up in front of me or those stats in front of me, but your goal differential goes from red to green if you take those 14 goals away that were scored. Pretty close. You're, you're still in the negative, okay. but I mean, it, it's a hell of a lot closer than it was at the end of the season. I mean, yeah. if you're allowing 14 fewer goals, that probably switches, you know, four or five games potentially yeah. in your direction. And that's 10 and if points. You're switching four or five games, now we're talking about you being like, winning an extra eight, nine, ten, ten points last year. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking about being in the playoff standings. Like it really is the margin for error for a team that is in the blue situation is so narrow that if you're able to have these little advantages that were not there a year ago to just prop you up when maybe your offense isn't clicking one night or when your goaltending is having an off night behind you where maybe Sonny makes a play, maybe Kevin Hayes makes a play, maybe a guy like uh, Blay makes a play, that could be enough to be able to keep them in it a little bit longer than most expect this season. So I I loved the Oscar Sundquist signing. I'm really happy to see over the weekend. We have not mentioned this, but... Torpchenko getting the two-year deal done at $1.25 million per year. Alex, what were your quick uh, overarching thoughts on that one, Torpchenko getting that deal done? It made sense, and I thought he – I didn't think he was going to go over one and a half mil per year. I was thinking maybe closer to the one million side of things, but obviously they bump it up a little bit to tell you how much they think of Torpchenko. The fact that the deal got done before it went to arbitration, though, BK, is a good thing because I think Torpchenko is a part of this core moving forward. If anything, Torpchenko is a younger Sunquist or a Barbashev for this team, so to get him locked up – for two years at that price, you keep a cheap forward who, if an injury takes place, you could use him in your top nine, but he's a perfect fourth line forward and them getting it done means you're not going to have any bad blood going into the season, which means hopefully he'll be around here for longer than those two years. You know what? That's an interesting point, Alex. That's something that we haven't mentioned about this fourth line. Any of these guys can play up if needed. Yes. If you need Sammy Blay to play in your top nine, he can. If you need Torbchenko, now you'd prefer not to, but if you need him to play on that third line, he can't. Absolutely. He'll bring you basically what like a, a lesser version of neighbors can do, where he's going to bring that physicality and you know exactly where he's going to be at any given time. Oscar Sundquist, you need him to be a third-line center for a six-game stretch? He can do that for you. You'd prefer, again, to have all of those guys on the fourth line, but they're capable of playing up when necessary. So I, I like having that ability as well, just giving yourself some more depth to go into the season with that is something that uh the blues needed in a bad way a year ago and they just didn't have it they, they didn't have that available to them coming up next 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line if you guys have any questions we'll get to them here on 101 espn 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. All right, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You guys can check us out on YouTube at 101 ESPN STL alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's start out with this one from the 314. Guys, who would you rather trade if it means getting a young starting pitcher in return? Nolan Gorman or Mason Wynn? Mine would be Nolan Gorman. And as much as I love Nolan Gorman, I think you could keep a Brendan Donovan and have him be your second baseman. And Alec Burleson could be a left-handed DH bat for you if you're utilizing in that. I don't know how you replace Mason Wynn. I'm still skeptical that Mason Wynn pans out to be what we're all hoping him to be. But I do know that defense is going to be lights out good for them. And frankly, they could use some of that. Uh, So I would move Nolan Gorman. Oh, man, I... I think I would move Gorman, too, because I think it's easier to fill his second base position with a Brendan Donovan who can get on base. But I don't think you're wrong in terms of saying, like, Mason Wynn could be, like, the next... I don't know if I want to call him overhyped prospect, but I, I had serious questions. You guys remember when I saw... worried about the offense. You guys, you guys heard me... I don't want to say complain, but I brought up kind of concerns when I went to Springfield last year and saw him play just two games. Like, I don't know how his bat's going to translate to the majors, and I still have some of those concerns. He's still learning down in AAA, and maybe he ends up becoming that bat that we're talking about but I, I think best case scenario you get a elite defensive shortstop and you can take that and kind of bury him at the bottom of the lineup and with Gorman I love his power just got an on-base machine in Donovan you got to find a way to get him in the lineup mm-hmm. you can kind of replace Gorman if you move him what do you guys think of um we saw him over the weekend CJ Abrams what is the value of a player like that I think it's valuable, especially if you're a Washington Nationals team, because that upside is there. But a Washington Nationals team, that's not going to be doing any winning anytime soon. The the reason I bring it up, I think offensively, Mason Wynn could be pretty similar. I mean, if you have a line, and this was my whole thing with um, Bader when he was here. Yeah, you got to make up for If you have a lineup that's around him, then yeah, I don't mind him playing great defense, going to be a guy that can contribute somewhat but he's going to have his struggles in i mean like he's right at league averages cj abrams 100 ops plus well, and I, and right now all of your outfielders are in that same frame yeah. with the exception of jordan walker so essentially i'm putting a mason win in a spot that i'm getting the exact same production from these outfielders that i might be moving on from the problem is you've got to replace that power somewhere and i don't know where you're going to replace it because you're not getting it from gorman you're not getting it from Newpar, you're not getting it from donovan but do you get it from Wilson Contreras? Do you get it from Alec Burleson if you give him a more of a DH spot? Or do you go out there and get an outfielder who can provide a little bit more pop if you move on from Nolan Gorman? Yeah, that, that's why I'm just, I'm having a hard time. They're such different players with such different values. Like yeah. The value of Mason Wynn is the speed, the defense, the athleticism, the excitement, the energy, all of those sorts of things. The value of Nolan Gorman is very simply, man, the guy hits the hell out of the baseball when he connects. But we also know what the downside is for Nolan Gorman. He strikes out a ton, man. And when he doesn't connect or when he doesn't hit a home run, he doesn't do a whole lot of hitting for average. I mean, since the first month of the season, he's been pretty bad, honestly. When you look at what his offensive numbers have been, he's hitting home runs, which is great, but that's kind of it. That's that's really it. So... 
I think I would rather trade Nolan Gorman just because I think what he brings to the table is more easily replaceable by just kind of bringing in a corner outfielder or a DH type. Those guys are available every offseason that can hit you 25 plus home runs. Not the same way that Nolan Gorman does. Don't have the same light tower power, but I think that is easier to find than somebody that has the arm, the talent, the athleticism, the ceiling of a Mason Wynn. I'll say this really quick too, BK. I'm not opposed to trading Mason Wynn. And I know a lot of people would say he's untouchable. I, I think for the right price, the right pitcher, I'm not opposed to moving on from Mason Wynn either. So are you, I'm assuming in that scenario, you just got Tommy Edmond as your everyday shortstop? Yeah. Tommy Edmond would become my everyday shortstop and... I would find somebody who could be a utility piece for me and free agency who you could get for pretty cheap. But if somebody called me and and this would be like the Seattle Mariners calling with George Kirby offering him up, I'm not going to say no to it. I got to make sure it's the right deal, but I'm not opposed to moving on from that player because you need to win now. And frankly, I don't know how Mason Wynn plays into that if I can get a better pitcher on the other side. All right, from the 618, guys, the Cardinals schedule in August looks to be very favorable. Do you think that that will be enough to keep them in the race for the division? I don't uh, because August might be favorable, but July is not favorable, especially when you've got the Cubs in two separate series, who I know it's the Cubs, but their pitching can outduel you. You've got the Diamondbacks. We already know how better they are than you. And then now you've got the Marlins. So, I mean, you're talking about potentially losing all of these series before you get to August. And when you're trading off pieces, it could be favorable, but it depends on how you're going about competing in August. That's what I was Man, just going to say. They're 11 and a half back. Like, what, yeah. what, and, what and, are we doing here? And Alex said the point, too. Like, they're trading off pieces. Look, the Cardinals can't even put out a five-man rotation now with Jack and Monty. <laughs> what the hell are they going to do when they trade those guys? They can't do three bullpen days. So, I, I just, there's no way, like, they're going to come back in this one. Even if they play well this month, like, they're going to sell pieces off because they're in that perfect spot to do it, and, as you mentioned earlier. And, I mean, let's be honest here. Like, you could say that. That it's a favorable schedule, but the Rockies had their way with you. Tampa Bay is going to have their way with you. Kansas City, you should probably beat. Same with Oakland. The Mets is a, a coin flip. Pittsburgh has had their way with you. Philadelphia and San Diego. So, uh, I mean, I don't know if I would call it favorable to the sense that this Cardinals team, I don't think anything's favorable for them. Uh, three one four three nine 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 six four six. couple more quickies here. Uh, guys, I saw over the weekend Shane Bieber was officially placed on the injured list with a forearm issue, elbow issue. Do you guys think that the dream of Shane Bieber is officially dead? My dream for Shane Bieber is officially dead because that scares the bejesus out of me, especially the type of pitcher he is. Uh, I think that just makes the dream even bigger for the Cardinals because hey. they're thinking a uh, uh, pitcher that we can acquire for less. And oh. they fix that arm. His velo might come back. They might pay me to take Shane Bieber off of their hands. And yeah, no, I'm out on Bieber. I was out on Bieber before the injury. Now I'm like but I, way out. I, I wouldn't the, touch that with a 200 foot pole. I think the Cardinals might be even more intrigued by it though. Yeah. I think we can go ahead and put this one to rest. Um, I liked the idea, and then over the last six weeks or so, man, Shane Bieber has been terrible. All of those underlying metrics that we said were kind of blinking red lights saying, do not go here, please stop, please stop. Uh, they, they have continued blinking, and now they are starting to show up in the real numbers. His ERA over the last six weeks is about five. Um, yeah, I, I think it's... It is officially panic time for Shane Bieber. The Guardians held on to him one year too long, yep. and now I think they might end up getting stuck. They ran into the same issue that the Cardinals do, but instead of being on the position player side, they did it on the pitching side with Bieber. 
Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we will get into a game of in or out. You give us a scenario. We will tell you if we are in or out. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line in order to do so. But coming up next, what are the Cardinals letting go of if they do end up trading Dylan Carlson? I feel like this has become a bit of a lightning rod discussion. I don't agree with that way of assessing it. I'll explain why coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm a big Carlson guy. I think the breakout is coming at some point. Um, and I think you're going to see a guy who's 20 plus homers who provides a lot of value on defense and is a 350 or better on base guy. Maybe that's not this year, but it's coming soon. And I, he, I can't call him untouchable. I can't say I wouldn't trade him, but that's a guy I would worry about coming back to bite me if I did include him in a deal. That was Keith Law on with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson last week. I'm Brandon Kylie. So Keith Law thinks that Dylan Carlson's going to have the breakout coming. Unfortunately, it just hasn't happened yet. Alex, a couple of seasons ago in 2021, Dylan Carlson had what we thought was his coming out party. Finished that year with 18 home runs, had a 340 on base percentage, was 15% above league average. And oh, by the way, he was really good defensively, finished third in rookie of the year voting. It's like, all right, this is the guy that we were told about. He had 18 home runs that year. He has 13 home runs since. For whatever reason, things have started to go in the wrong direction. Now, his on-base percentage is back this year to where it was in 2021, but he's still not hitting right-handed pitching. He's not hitting for the same amount of power, and over the last two seasons, he's been a below-average hitter overall. He is still 24, though, and that's the thing that people will come back to when it comes to, okay, yeah, I understand Dylan Carlson's not the guy that we all expected him to be, but he's still so young. Alex, I think there's two sides to this coin, and it is the two different sides to the coin that the Cardinals are going to be weighing as they consider what the future holds for Dylan Carlson here in St. Louis. One is, he's really young, he has shown promise, he is a good defensive player, and we think that that upside is still there. The other is, man, he's young in terms of his age, but he has 1,400 plate appearances at the big league level. He's been a below league average hitter over the last two seasons. He does not fit into our plans over a Lars Nupar or Jordan Walker, so he has blocked in both corner outfield spots. We've seen him in center, and we don't think he projects to be a center fielder. And honestly, the upside is a pretty solid player, not like an MVP all-star level candidate. That's not who he is as a player. So what do you do? And this is why I wanted to look yesterday into some of the comparisons for players like Dylan Carlson. I went in and did a deep dive on guys that in their first four seasons in the big leagues had a significant opportunity the way that Dylan Carlson has and produced to similar degrees to what Dylan Carlson has. Because I wanted to get a better idea of, okay... What what does the future hold for guys that have performed like Carlson in the past, that got up to the big leagues early on in their careers, and then for the first four years were kind of up and down, but still had, you know, average to above average type of production? Here were some of the names that I saw on that list, Alex. And this is not cherry picking, I promise. These were the closest comparisons that I could find. Sure. And there's examples in both directions uh, to, to, ha- to fix your argument. Colby Rasmus was one of the guys that was very similar early on. Nick Castellanos was on this list. 
Max Kepler, the outfielder for the Twins. Jorge and Gregory Polanco both fit into this criteria. And then Marcelo Zuna was actually another name that was very similar early on in his Marlins career to what we have seen so far with Dylan Carlson here in St. Louis. Alex, when you hear those names and you put yourself in John Mosellock's shoes and you think to, what do we do? Is it time to move on? Do we continue betting on this asset? What comes to mind for you? What would you do? I, I would move him if the package is right. I, I'm The way I look at this outfield situation for the Cardinals is Jordan Walker is the only permanent thing that I have in place moving forward, which means I've got to fill two other spots. Now, I'm not going to go on this this sell-off where everybody's getting moved, I've got to make a decision of who I deem the other piece of that outfield. Is it Lars Nupar or is it Dylan Carlson? And then from there, I can build around it. The numbers that you gave on Dylan Carlson, yeah, it's a little alarming in the sense of you thought he was going to be a lot more impactful than what he has been. And frankly, the defense isn't Harrison Bader-esque to where you sit there and say, yeah, but we've got the defense to back up if his offense doesn't show up. But I could say the same thing about Lars Newbart. Like the upside for both of these guys is there, but you just don't know when it's going to come, if it's even going to come. So if the right package is in front of me for a Dylan Carlson or a Lars Newbar, I'm going to accept it because maybe he's just not going to get to that level with the St. Louis Cardinals. I mean, Colby Rasmus is the perfect one for fans. If you're going to look at it, you see Colby Rasmus's numbers and everybody remembers Colby Rasmus in St. Louis. He was expected to be this big deal in the outfield. He was your center fielder of the future and he never panned out. Then he goes to Houston and he has success the rest of his career. That's what you worry about Dylan Carlson. But as we spoke of earlier in the show, I don't care about success beyond the Cardinals. What I care about is if you're not going to be here, do you get me something that makes me more competitive? So frankly, their decision is going to have to come down to who is more likely to be an impactful piece of this outfield for us, Dylan Carlson or Lars Newbar. And whoever you deem that to be, then you need to trade the other one. Yeah, and look, I, I think they should be selling high on Dylan Carlson because I'm not seeing the steps for improvement that that I think weren't deciding to hold on to him. And you mentioned Colby Rasmus. You know what I remember Rasmus for? Not being the outfitter of the future, the guy that helped you get pieces to win the 11 World Series. So I, I look at Carlson and I would say, look, we got to go our separate ways. I think there's more upside in Newport when I look at his profile than there is in Dylan Carlson. And Carlson just hasn't been able to adjust to hitting right-handed pitching. So maybe he does go on and figures it out elsewhere well then okay then you got to ask yourself why were we not able to tap into that and solve that issue but i win the trade whatever you get for him say you get a starting pitcher you can package him to go get that starter you're looking for get that pitcher and then i think you can look back on and go sure maybe we did give away an outfielder that did we gave up on a little too early but we also got a starting pitcher that we desperately needed like i i don't think it should just be viewed as ah oh, we, we we can't really move him because if he does pan out then we're going to look really bad no, go get the piece that you need for this year and next year, which is a cost-controllable starting pitcher. Use Carlson as part of that package and sell high while people still view him as having value. Don't wait an extra year. And if he continues to digress or he, or digress and he continues to show no signs of improvement against right-handed pitching, well, then you just wasted your opportunity to sell high on a Dylan Carlson. I, I don't think he's the guy. I disagree with Keith Law's assessment. I don't think he's the guy that if they send him away, they're going to regret trading. I think it might be, um, but I think you should do it anyways. This is where I go back to the Adolis Garcia conversation. I think people give the Cardinals a lot of crap for the Adolis Garcia decision without actually looking at any of the context whatsoever. 
Adolis Garcia was not a very good player at the time and had no future here. He was designated for assignment, not by the Cardinals, but he was, but also by the Rangers multiple times. MLB teams had their opportunities to go out and get them. That was not a failure just by the Cardinals. That was a failure by every major league organization who could have had him for free. And they all decided this guy's not good enough for us. So everybody decided this is not a guy that we're going to be ready to build around. And the Rangers bet big and they ended up, it paid off in a significant way for them. Reason I bring that up in relation to Dylan Carlson is because you could end up making the wrong decision again, but what you'd be doing is betting on the other guys. And really, that's what matters. The decision with Dylan Carlson is less about him and more about who you decide to bet on outside of him. Alex, you brought up Lars Nootbaar. Maybe that's the guy you're betting on. I know Jordan Walker is one of the guys that they're betting on in the outfield. I think you can put Brendan Donovan in this discussion. Like, I, I think at this point, he's just an outfielder yeah. for you long term. Unless you move on from Nolan Gorman, then Brendan Donovan becomes right. a second baseman for you. Sure, but I think the most likely outcome is Brendan Donovan is most days going to be in your outfield long term. And so where does Dylan Carlson fit? If you think he's a center fielder, then go ahead and keep him. But this gets back to one of, I think, the biggest questions for the Cardinals. And we've talked about this a bit in the past, but I, I think it's starting to really rear its ugly head. I don't think the Cardinals have a center fielder on this roster. I think they would like it to be Tommy Edmond, maybe, but... We have seen that the lack of an arm in center with Tommy Edmond can at times be an issue for him. I'm not sure that his bat long term is going to be one that you want to play in center field. And I know that people disagree with me, and that's perfectly fine. Guys, I don't think Dylan Carlson is a defensive player in center fielder. I think he is a plus defender as a corner player, but I don't think his bat's good enough to be a corner outfielder long term. And I don't think that he has the defense to carry you in center. I don't think this team has a center fielder on the roster right now. And so I'm betting on two guys, Newt, Walker, and then maybe you could add in a third with Donovan. Those are my three corner outfielders that I'm building around long term. And I need to go find myself a center fielder, and I don't think it is Dylan Carlson. I agree with you. I, I don't think Carlson's a center fielder. I think they're going to run it with Tommy Edmond. I, I think that's the approach they're going to go with. And I say that, and I don't agree with it, because I... I I tend towards the side of you got to have an arm to play center field. And I think that's the number one thing that I think a lot of people look at with Carlson because his outfield arm is one of the tops in baseball, according to Baseball Savant. But again, I don't think his jump is there and the numbers back that up. I, I think they're going to run it back with Tommy Edmond, and I think they're going to try an outfield going into next year of Walker, Edmond, Newbar. I That is my assumption as to what they're going to do at the outfield. And that's why I think you got to look at a Dylan Carlson and go, okay, can we sell high on him? Because I think Alec Burleson is showing that he's starting to adjust to playing as a fourth outfielder coming off the bench, can get spot starts at DH if you need it. I, I think that's why like I look at Carlson and, okay, maybe you can platoon him against lefties, but he holds no value against right-handed players. And how much value does he really hold to you if he's like the fourth or fifth outfielder on this team? I, I just don't see that value in Dylan Carlson, and that's why I think, with the outf- in my opinion, with the outfield being set the way they're going to view it, it's why you look at Carlson and go, okay, can we make that improvement, go get and bank on higher upside with a starting pitcher that's controllable? As much as I am leaning more towards trading Dylan Carlson, that's why it comes back to me of who's going to give me the best package. Because I, I just, I really do view Dylan Carlson and Lars Nupar as the same player. And whoever is higher on one of those outfielders and is willing to part with the pitcher that I need... I'd be willing to trade that player because I'm taking a risk on either of these guys. I, I'd agree with that. I'm taking a risk on Lars Newbar. Can, can I can I give the counterpoint? Because I don't view them as the same player at all. Well, we know you love Lars Newbar. 
No, you're I, a neuter. Like, e- <laughs> you are a neuter. You need to be neutered. What? Lars Newbar has been better over the last season and a half than Dylan Carlson has shown at any point in his major league career. For half of a season. Amen. Yes. Show show me where Dylan you Carlson has been full better. Season of Dylan Carlson. Last year, Lars Newbar in half a season was better than Dylan Carlson was in that full season. Yeah. What have we seen since? He's been better the, since then than Dylan Carlson. Yeah. Fine. But Dylan I'm Carlson going... has been a below league average hitter over the last two full years. But I'm taking a risk on either. I had half of a season of Lars Newpar that I'm hoping he continues in his career. I had a full season of Dylan Carlson who I'm hoping he gets back to. I get three it. Three years ago, dude. Yeah, I get it. Three I've years. had more at-bats, but in three years, if I'm saying the same thing about Lars Newpar, then I should have traded him. I, I but think... I know what Lars Newpar does well. Lars Newpar has one elite skill. And it's getting on base. And I know people don't find that to be sexy, but I know he can do it. He's getting on base 36% of the time this year. That is elite level on base. Don't I have that in Brendan Donovan? Sure, but can't I have multiple of those guys? And with Dylan Carlson, Alex, what is the thing that Dylan Carlson does well that's going to make you regret giving up on him? Like the the one tool, right? When we talk about a duelist Garcia, he's got the athleticism, he's got the power. Those two tools... They did show themselves in the minor, and he has just realized that potential now. When you look at Randy or Rosarena, it's the like big time moments that he steps up in, and he has real power and real contact hitting ability. Those two things, they have been realized at the major league level. What is it with Dylan Carlson? Because I know it with Lars. With Lars, I know that it is the on-base percentage skill, and it is the ability to hit the ball hard that could come back to bite you in a serious way where he could be a guy that gets on base 36% of the time and it's 20 home runs a year. What is it with Carlson? I don't know with Carlson. I don't think it's anything with Carlson, but even what Lars Newpar provides, I'm not sure it takes you to that next level because you're playing with the could on the power and the on base. I've got a lot of guys who could do that right now. And but frankly, you, don't. you have one, you have one, you have Brendan Donovan. Yeah. One. Good. That's perfect. And the, I've got two guys right now that you're saying can get on base at a high clip, and what's that getting me? I'm not scoring runs. Right, because the rest of the roster isn't good enough. You are scoring runs, by the way. The offense has been underwhelming, but it's been pretty good this year. It's been like a top-10 offense. Your problem is everything else, and that's also where I think, like, Lars is a plus defender in the outfield, and he's a guy that does seem to be well-liked within the clubhouse and is bringing a little bit of energy to the table. Like, those are things... I'm not saying Dylan Carlson isn't well-liked. He is absolutely well-liked. But the energy thing, like, I don't know that he brings a whole lot of energy to the club. Not, And I'm not using this to, like, describe how horrible of a player Dylan Carlson is. I think he's an average major leaguer. And I think when I have guys that are average major leaguers and I have a glut at that position and I don't see the serious upside with them, that's the guy that I'm giving up on. So, like... The reason why I'm bringing all this up is because you said get the better better package, whatever you can get as the better package in return, go ahead and trade that guy. If I've got Lars versus Dylan Carlson and I'm trying to decide which one to trade, I'm cutting my ties with Dylan Carlson. And I'm not even looking at what the return is for Lars Newbar. I like that that to me is an easy decision. I think so, Lars is just a So far then how are player. you going to improve your pitching staff then? If you're not willing to give up the guy that everybody wants and you're willing to give up the guy that might not get you a good enough return. Because I think I've got other assets that could potentially get me. But you're not willing to move on from those other assets. You're not willing to move on from Newbar. You're not willing to move on from Donovan. What are the assets you're willing to move on from that are going to get you something? Yeah, that's this is where it gets really hard. I, I don't know. And that's why I, I don't know what they in the do. conversation for I, me. I, and that's why I, you got to get to a puke point. 
I would be, this is, this is the thing though. Like, I'm not saying you don't get, I'm not saying nude is an untouchable. I think people that say that are, are crazy. Um, I'm saying when you just, if we're doing X or Y and you're saying, okay, give up this guy because he gets a slightly better return. I'm giving up Carlson no matter what. That's my opinion on this. I am trading Carlson either at the deadline or in the off season because he is not a part of my long-term plans, period. I think Donovan is above him on my depth chart right now. Walker is above him on my depth chart right now. And honestly, Alec Burleson is above him on my depth chart right now. So he is not a part of my future. I need to trade him. Lars Nupar is a separate conversation. And Alex, this is where you do get into the return talk of, can I get a Kirby for him? Can I get a Logan Gilbert for him? Can I get a guy that's going to slot into my rotation next year as a top three starter that I can trust night in, night out? If I can get that guy... Sure, I'm willing to listen to offers, but I'm not just getting rid of him for no reason. I think that Carlson is that guy for me. Yeah, and that, and that's where I fall in. Is Carlson's definitely number one for me. If it comes down to, hey, you can get this pitcher. What's your return to look like, or your package you're sending us? Okay, well, Carlson's going to be a guy that's going to be in it. But if the, if it comes down to, well, do you want to take that next step and do you want to go get somebody else? And they say, well, if you want to do that, you got to put Lars Newpar in here. Then yeah, absolutely, I would sign up because I don't think Newt is gonna. I don't think Newt has shown enough to take the steps to make him untouchable. But I think Carlson is definitely number one in terms of hey, one of these guys you're gonna put in a package. Carlson's number one for me because I just don't see the upside for him, and I think there's upside in Newt. If you want to get better, it's gonna hurt, and unfortunately, that might be a large Newt bar. But uh, uh, that's why I'm at the point where it's like, look, I just I don't know. Maybe teams are super high on Dylan Carlson still, and if that's the case, then yeah, great, cut bait, move on, and get something in return. But I'm looking to better my staff, and what we talked about earlier is I don't trust this team finding the ability just to do it via free agency, which means you're going to have to make a trade that sucks, and it sounds like all of these names are starting to get on this list of, well, I'm not going to trade him, and I'm not going to trade him. I get that your outfield is awful, but if I can get some guys who could provide some defense and give me a little bit of offense, i got to improve elsewhere, and that's where the Newt Bar thing falls into this for me. Yeah, I, I was just trying to kind of separate the two conversations. I'm with you on that, Alex, of trading him for big-time starting pitching. I, it's going to hurt. And I would prefer not to do it, but this is where we get into the conversation of making the big boy decisions. Is it Gorman? Is it Newbar? Is it uh, Tommy Yedman? Is it Donovan? Like some of these guys, probably one of those that I just named, if you're going to get the pitcher that you're looking for, you're probably going to have to part ways with one of those players that I just mentioned. Right. Otherwise, I I don't think you're getting that. And that's why I just can't be attached to anybody right now. And I don't think the Cardinals have the ability to be attached by certain to, to certain players within reason of the Walkers and the Goldschmidts and the R to compete next year because you've been bad you've been really bad this year you're gonna have to move on from something to improve your roster for next year coming up next there is one player that could be an extension candidate or could get traded at the deadline are you in or out on giving this player a contract extension before the deadline we'll tell you who that is next on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Train Heating and Cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. One four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line. Oh boy, did I miss that from Alex Ferrario alongside Alex and T-Boat on BK. Alex, Thanks, let's buddy. start with this. I saw this over the weekend. 
Martin Kilcoin tweeted out, my bold Cardinals prediction is that Jordan Hicks will not get traded. Instead, he will sign an extension with the Cardinals. <laughs> that sounds like a Cardinals move. Alex, in or out, the Cardinals should sign Jordan Hicks to a contract extension prior to the deadline. Out. If they want to sign him to a contract before they trade him and just say like, hey, handshake deal, we've got this offer for you in the offseason, by all means. But I'm not giving him a contract before August 1st. I'm trading Jordan Hicks because everybody is going to want Jordan Hicks, especially if he keeps pitching the way he's pitching. I just don't understand this rational where people are like, oh, the Cardinals are going to give this guy a con. They're awful. Trade them so you can get assets. Like, why are we going down this path of, oh, well, the Cardinals, somebody texted in earlier. They're only one game above 500 since game 34 of the season. Great. You play that average the rest of the way. You know where you're going to finish? Probably 12 games out of first place and not in the playoffs. Oh, man. Trade the pieces that other teams want. So I'm out on this, buddy. Yeah, I'm, I'm out on this, too. Look, I, if they want to sign any of these pending free agents in the offseason to a contract, fine, by all means. I can I can listen to the argument on some of them. You should not do it before August 1st. They should be dealt because Alex is right. They are going to get a massive haul for Jordan Hicks. They're going to get a massive haul for Jordan Montgomery. Hell, Jack could bring in a great haul the way he's been pitching. So I'm out on this. Look, I, I did a T-Bone 3-3 three, three bold predictions for the second half, and I said they're going to extend Jordan Walker. That one yeah. I can see happening. Jordan Hicks being signed before the deadline, no shot. Tanner's bold prediction also was that at least six players get traded off of this roster. That's more likely to happen in this scenario than Jordan Hicks getting an extension. What kind of contracts do you think Hicks is going to get? Because I think that plays into this, because I, I, I'm out on this either way. It's got to be like a but, three- or four-year contract, right? I... Is he going to get the Rysel Iglesias deal? Four years, 14 and a half per? I could see that. Something Maybe like the that. fact that he hasn't pitched so much over the last few years is like a three-year deal with a player option on the fourth. But because he is viewed as a top closer by a lot of teams, I could see something like that. And frankly, if I'm him, I'm going to the free agent market after I get dealt because somebody might overpay me. Yeah, I, if he ends up getting that Iglesias deal, my God, am I not touching that with a 10-foot pole. And it's less about Jordan Hicks and more just about the uh, volatility of relievers in general. I don't want a four-year deal worth $10-plus million for a reliever. I'm out. Everyone forces, if they're so awful, how are they going to get a haul on these players? The team is awful. Some players are pitching very well. That's how they get a haul with Montgomery and Flaherty and Hicks. The roster, the overall team is awful. There's Alex, a difference. We, we just saw this. We just saw this. Yeah. We are five months removed. It's like the freaking Twilight Zone. From the Blues zone. doing exactly what we're talking about with the Cardinals. Yeah. Exactly what we're talking about. Yep. We, like, the equivalent of Jordan Montgomery and uh, Jordan Hicks and Jack Flaherty. It's the pending free agents with the Blues. Tarasenko, it's O'Reilly, it's Barbashev. Yes. Like, Barbashev is for the Blues what Hicks has been so far for the Cardinals. And one of these You'd out like to keep him around, but it's just not realistic. And one of the outfielders, like a Nico Mikola, you oh, just toss yeah. him in as the yeah. extra. We always look at him and go, man, he played good for like two games. <laughs> now let's just get rid of him. Remember when he could Who's the Tyler O'Neill? On the Blues? Know. Is it Mikola? No, it was it was Sunquist from a couple Barbie. of years ago. It was Barbie. It was Barbie, or excuse me, it was uh, it was Tarasenko. No, 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 no. Yeah, he had a better he had a better return than what Tyler O'Neill is going to get you. 
I don't know if there's really a comp for I think it was, on the Blues. I think it was sunny two years ago. <laughs> Maybe. Where he was injured and he couldn't play. I mean, he's like, back. Ah. Should we really be comping him to him? Although, well, want to talk well, about a kick below the belt. Sonny's got the upper hand because Sonny was a, a locker room guy. I think it was Tarasenko because the upside is still there. Previously really high high results, and then that season just didn't really play that If well. you get the equivalent of a first-round draft pick for Tyler O'Neill, I will bow down to John Mozeliak because shake that's impressive. I his hand impressive. next time I see him. Well, he won't I think we'll get back. a pretty good reliever for him, like a triple-A guy. S- someone said Marco Scandella. That's a that's a pretty good comp to Tyler O'Neill. No, no. What are you talking about? When Scandella plays, he's good. It's just he never plays. Ty- Tyler O'Neill was an MVP candidate, dude. Marco Scandella. Yeah, he reminded me of a Norris candidate. Marco Scandella was the best penalty killer. Leave out of here. Marco yeah. Scandella Justin was... Falk is a better comparison. No, nah, nah. nah. You're off, man. You, now, you, honestly, it's probably Tory Krug. You've taken a step back over oh, these man. last couple of weeks. <laughs> it might be Krug. <laughs> It's probably Tori. I got one for you, boys. In or out, over the next three years, the Blues players in their prospect system are more impactful to the big league club than the Cardinals. So, like, Jordan Walker. Say that again. So, over the next three years, I'll widen it for you. Over the next five years, the players in the prospect system for both teams, Cardinals and Blues, the Blues have more inf- impactful players from their prospect pool over the next five years than the Cardinals do. I mean, the Cardinals don't really have that many prospects. Oh, you just wait till we sell all these pieces at the deadline. Yeah, and you get all these. Yeah, are, we, are we talking about like as of today? Sure, but I mean, we, we, could, got, we could say well, by the, the end reason of the why season. I bring, huh? We could say by, at the end of the season because of this trade Let's just deadline. do as of today because it's easier because we just don't know who's going to be in the Cardinals system. Okay. Um. Yeah, I'll go with the Blues. I'll, I'll, I'll say I'm in. The Cardinals don't have that many good prospects right now. Or talent. So, yeah, I'd say <laughs> in. I, I would say uh, when you look at the Blues system, like it's easy to see the prospects that you're excited to uh, be coming up through the system. You just saw them at Prospects Camp. Outside of, like, Mason Wynn, who are you really excited about for the Cardinals? Like McGreevy, Graceffo, like those guys project as, like, three fours. Who's, like, the super high upside player like a Jimmy Snuggerud or a uh, Zachary Bolduc or a Dalibor Dvorsky who they just drafted? Cardinals don't really have that guy. And if the one guy they do have is win, that's one compared to three for the Blues. So I would say I'm in on this as well. Yeah, I would too. Just because, like, maybe beyond that five years, the Cardinals have more guys because, you know, obviously pitchers take a lot longer to develop than the players in the Blues system. But, man, in that time frame, I mean, we legitimately have talked about, like, at least four guys that could be impacting this roster for St. Louis. The Blues on the Cardinals side, other than Tink Hentz and Mason Wynn, guys are right i mean you're you're waiting a while which is part of the reason why this team's in such a, a rough spot I mean, right now Vic, victor scott victor scott's a legit prospect oh, i forgot bk bk do you want to give him the extension yeah 10 years right now okay 10 years Go by ahead. 10 mil t-bone what do you got oh, ew. <laughs> in or out we will see mason win this season in in I That's say happening see, after the deadline. Yeah, August 2nd, I say we're, we're going to see him on this team. Interesting. Yeah. Because I'm kind of leaning towards out. I'm not sure they oh, feel really? that he's ready yet. Yeah. I don't even think. Wait, why? I don't, I don't think they care if he's ready. He's going to be up Oh, here. I don't think they want to rush Win, And that's why I say that. I'm not 100% convinced yet that they're going to call up Win once the deadline is passed. Because if they don't, if they can't get the return they want for DeYoung, they can just stick with DeYoung at shortstop. And they can pick up his option to have him there ready to go next year. No. So. I'm just not convinced that they're re- they are ready to see win yet. I think they still think there's more steps for him at AAA. Re- I, mm. uh, I disagree. Um, 
Boy, I, really I don't know why that. they would do that. <laughs> did he vehemently disagree, or did you get a little soft well, he spot? Did. You you didn't see him because I can see his camera. He vehemently disagreed. Oh, he just forgot to say it. Yeah, oh, man, I you got to work on that, buddy. I'm trying to figure out why they would not bring him up. I don't want to rush him. What are you talking about? Your team's bad. Yeah, there's no rushing. Culture. Culture. I mean. <laughs> In his last changed? 150 at-bats, he's batting 308 with an OPS of 900. That's a cherry-pick stat. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, this is since the start of June. Yeah, well. Look at Jordan Walker. When he was playing bad, they sent him down and he came back up, and now he's great. I just, I, yeah, Mason Wynn's you, you turn. need to bring him up. It's it's time. Mason Wynn should be at the big league level starting August 2nd. So is my that guy Moises Gomez. Little poppy, we miss you. Uh, 3143999646 is the air comfort service text line. A couple other quick in or outs here. In or out, the Cardinals will trade somebody who becomes an all-star oh, at the deadline. Obviously in on this. Yeah, I'd say in because I think they're moving Gorman, and I could see him becoming an all-star. So I, I think Dylan Carlson's going to make all of you eat your words. Nah, I'm not concerned about that one at all. Oh, guys, Moises uh, Gomez guys, has been bad. <laughs> in or out, Alec Burleson is on the Cardinals in 2024. I'm going to say out. I think he's the one that gets moved in, not Nolan Gorman. I think it's going to be one of those two, and I feel like Alec Burleson is going to be a part of a package rather than Nolan Gorman being the main piece of that package. See, I'm leaning towards in because I think he f- is developing into what his role should be, which is a fourth outfielder. And I just don't know how he's valued across Major League Baseball because he's not a great defender. He's got the batter profile, but the numbers don't really show it when you look at his back of the baseball card. I'm going to say in. I don't think he's involved in any package, and they use him as a fourth outfielder next year. Uh, I agree. I mean, I think he will be on the team. I think he's become the fourth outfielder. Yeah. And lefty bat, he is what they wanted um, Dickerson to be last year. A little bit of pop, hits for average. I know that it hasn't been great so far this year in terms of the actual results, but the underlying numbers are there, and they really believe in the talent of him as a hitter. Final thing here, guys. In or out, Brendan Donovan is the third most valuable Cardinal this year. Ooh. I will say... Like at the end of the season? Sure, let's go with that. Okay. Oh, at the end of the year, I'm going to say out. Uh, I'm going to say out, too. I think it's going to be Goldschmidt, Arenado, Walker will be the three most valuable before you get to Donovan's name. Yeah, and I'm gonna I, say, I'm gonna I can say see, in. like, I think Walker's defense... I think Walker's defense has been so bad that I would value Brendan Donovan. Did you him. turn the television off when he made that diving catch in right field? He did. He did. I'm just I'm just trying to figure out. By the way, I love that somebody called you out on Twitter when you said that Walker's bad play in the outfield. And they go, oh, guess you missed this diving catch. He clearly Guys, did. I don't even know what to do anymore. Your bad takes like, just continue. Yeah, welcome I, back. I love Jordan Walker. The guy has been everything you could have asked for and then some so far this season. It's okay to acknowledge that his defense has been really underwhelming. I've been told by a Cardinals Hall of Famer it's yeah. not that bad. What? How many gold gloves do you have under your belt? Because one gold glover for the Cardinals says he's going to be great. I, I think he can be. I actually really do. Like Long term, I am more optimistic today about his defense than I was at the beginning of the season. That being said, he has been one of the worst defensive outfielders in all of Major League Baseball this year. And that is not just an opinion of me. That is based on the the numbers. Like, whether you watch the eye test, you want to go with the numbers, whatever it is, he has been really bad out there. So much so that the Cardinals at times use Alec Burleson as the defensive replacement for Jordan Walker. Better than Mercado. I just, look, it's okay to acknowledge that. Look, man, you can't be so fast to rush 
perfection. Like butterflies don't develop right away. It takes yeah. time to develop. They come well, from a caterpillar. And that is why right now the game's not mattering anymore. You just play them every day. I wouldn't even take them out of the, at the end of games. Like, it doesn't matter if you win these. It's over. Season's yeah, over, guys. Come on, man. We can go ahead and turn the page to 2024, play Jordan Walker in the outfield every single day, play him for all nine innings, and let's see what it looks like. Hey, but right now, it just, it just hasn't happened. Look, man, you, you, why are you so quick to throw this Cardinals team down the uh, cellar? The, yeah. this, the texter said they're only one game above 500 since game 34. We're they're coming one, back. We're one 17-game winning streak away. <sighs> From at least getting to 500. From at least catching the second-place team in the NL Central. Yes. Great. Speaking of defense, is Yvonne Herrera the upgrade the Cardinals need behind the plate? We'll talk about it next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The three of them are, are doing a really nice job. Herrera's come up, and um, offensively, he's looked really good impacting the ball. I mean, using the whole field, it's been really, really good at bats. Contreras has come alive, and the Contreras that we're used to seeing across the way, I mean, he's been extremely productive. And uh, kids did a nice job using the whole field today. He's done that uh, for a couple months now where he's taken much better at bats than we've seen in the past as far as last year goes. So the three of them have done a really nice job offensively. That was Ollie Marmel after the weekend talking about his three catchers that are now on the roster. Of course, we are back to this. And alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks. At least the third one can play, though. The Cardinals officially activated yesterday Andrew Kisner. And now they have Kisner, Herrera, and Contreras all on the active roster. Alex, I think the most interesting piece to this puzzle is Yvonne Herrera. There was a point in time earlier in the season, and I might still feel this way, but where I felt pretty strongly... Yvonne Herrera's future for the Cardinals was as a trade chip. He has been performing really well down in the minor leagues this year. At AAA, he was batting 310 on the season with an OPS of nearly 1,000. He had so far this year 20 doubles and 8 homers in 50 games. That's pretty darn impressive for any catcher. And defensively, it seems like he's made a pretty significant jump. Then he came up to the big leagues and in his first three games is 6 for 12 at the plate. The offense is starting to translate to the major league level. Alex, what do the Cardinals have in Yvonne Herrera? And is it more than just a trade chip in your mind? I do think it's more than just a trade chip because the difference for me between Andrew Kisner and Yvonne Herrera is the offense. And the Cardinals, when they signed Wilson Contreras, they were committing to a bat that was going to be a middle-of-the-order bat that's defense probably wasn't going to be there on the catching side of things. Now, I don't believe Yvonne Herrera's catching is that significantly better than Wilson Contreras's, but the offense is right there. So what they have in Herrera, for me, is a perfectly acceptable backup catcher for your team to play with Wilson Contreras that provides a lot more offense than Andrew Kisner does. But I don't see how you use three catchers throughout an entire season if you're not trading Yvonne Herrera, because as much as we all believe Wilson Contreras is going to be the DH, I don't see that happening right away. Maybe three years from now, it might towards the end of his contract. But right now, it sure seems like they're going to stick with Wilson Contreras and that's where Yvonne Herrera comes into play. He's already outperformed Andrew Kisner, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I, I think when you look at Herrera, I still think it's more than likely he is a trade piece Agreed. right now. 
because it's such a small sample size that he has to continue this up until August 1st to prove otherwise. But I think he can play his way past Andrew Kisner on the depth chart. I think he's past him right now just because they want to give him opportunities and see if he can run with it. But I, I think it is possible because I think there is more upside with his bat, to your point. And defensively, I do think he's been better than Contreras than the, in the small sample size that I've seen. Better job blocking, better job receiving. Honestly, it sounds like they don't mind his game-calling ability, which we've heard is an issue with Contreras before. So I, I think he can play his way ahead of Kisner to where they can look to move Kisner, whether it be the deadline or in the offseason, because Kisner's proven he is a quality backup catcher. He's defensive-minded first, but he doesn't have the bat. I think with Herrera, if he proves his defense is this is what you're going to see from him and he's going to sustain it and the bat can play, there's definitely opportunities to throw him in the lineup because as we've seen with the Cardinals, they want to, they're not doing what they did with Yachty all those years where you saw the backup catcher like, Maybe once every two weeks. You're like, 20 oh, games. I forgot Tony Cruz was on the roster. I forgot we had a backup. Poor Tony Cruz. They're, they're not going to do that anymore. They want Contreras off his feet at least once every series. And you saw them do that last year with Yachty at the end of his career. So if you have a catcher that can provide some offensive upside, yeah, Herrera can be that guy that can take Kisner's role and they can look to flip Kisner in the offseason or at the deadline. I'm excited by what we've seen from Vaughn Herrera. Here's my question. Is his future anything more in St. Louis than a backup catcher? Like, is there a scenario in which he overtakes Wilson Contreras as the starter? Because if there's not, you should trade him now. I don't think you're ever going to have more value in Yvonne Herrera, and maybe not like literally at the deadline, but at some point prior to the 2024 season, he should be a part of a trade package that gets you something of significance. Teams will look at him right now, Alex, and say, that guy can be a starting catcher for us next season. You can get a really good piece for that. And he's a plus offensive player, and if he's been solid defensively at the major league level, great. I just don't know how the Cardinals will view that because they invested so much in Wilson Contreras, and I don't think they want him to be a regular at DH. His bat plays much better if he's a catcher than if he's a designated hitter for you, and they have a lot of guys that fit into that designated hitter role. So I I just find I have a really hard time believing that Yvonne Herrera is going to be the starting catcher here in St. Louis, and if that is the case... I think he should still be traded. And that's, I'm with you there. I would be listening on offers for him because I think for how impactful he's been this season, teams would be interested enough to give you something of substance in return. But, I mean, he is 23 years old, and you're seeing the upside of his offense right now. And to T-Bone's point, the defense at least is a little bit better than Wilson Contreras. I don't think he overtakes him next season. But two years from now, does he overtake Wilson Contreras as the catcher to where they flip-flop to where maybe now you're using every two games or two out of the three games in a series, Contreras is the DH, and then the third one, he's the back or he's the catcher while Yvonne Herrera gets the day off? I might be able to see that. The thing with Yvonne Herrera is if you trade him, you're sticking with Andrew Kisner as the backup until the next catching prospect comes up. And there's another kid down in the minors that they're pretty high on, like they were for Yvonne Herrera. Yeah. That's why I would look at this and say, Hey, if somebody's willing to give me something that helps me for 2024, I'll, I'll pull the trigger on an Yvonne Herrera trade right now. But if it's just some a ball guy that you're throwing down there into the system to build your farm system, I don't think that benefits you for next season to the point of, I'd rather have Yvonne Herrera's 300 batting average over Andrew Kisner. See, I, I can see a scenario in which Herrera can take the starting job. And even if he doesn't take it, I think Soon? he can get it to 50. Like you think next year? I think so. I, I think the Cardinals are very, very disappointed in the defense they've gotten from Contreras. I vehemently and disagree. I, I think 
if they're going to get back to this defensive mindset that we talk about with the St. Louis Cardinals, it is going to start at catcher. Catcher is going to have to have a significant improvement defensively. And can Contreras get to that? That's the question the Cardinals have to ask because it is two, it's two questions in my mind. Can Herrera overtake this job from Willis Contreras? Maybe. Can Contreras in, improve defensively? That's the second question as part B to the Herrera question no. for me. Because if he this can, is who he is. This then is I, who think, he is. I think there is a chance Herrera can take that starting job from Contreras. And I'm not saying that makes I mean, it probably will make the Contreras contract a bust. But I do think they will potentially look at moving him to DH if Herrera, if they think Herrera can be the everyday catcher. And that's where I disagree. I would give him the benefit of the doubt, Wilson Contreras, thinking that it can improve at least slightly from what he's been this year to next year. And if it doesn't next year, if this is actually who he is, that's where the Yvonne Herrera thing comes into play. But I, I believe Yvonne Herrera is dealing with more than just... I think this is a first season thing where you're trying to just get used to everything and it just hasn't worked for him to where next season, I think that improves. Yeah, I... I don't think Wilson Contreras can be better off or uh, defensively. I think this is who he is. I think he's been this guy for the vast majority of his career. And the Cardinals knew that when they signed him. And this is why it's so frustrating to see the way that they have approached it this season. I, I don't know where they got this idea that he was going to be better than this. He wasn't. He can work on it all he wants and maybe he can marginally improve. But guys at his age that play that position, they don't suddenly become plus defenders when the biggest issue for them previously in their career was their defensive performance. So I I just don't see that. I also don't think that Yvonne Herrera can overtake him. You've invested $18 million per year over the next three plus seasons for uh, Wilson Contreras. That's not a guy that you just randomly put on the bench. Not here, not in St. Louis, man. I think this is a guy that is going to be your everyday catcher for the foreseeable future. They have already made their bet on him. And I, I think Yvonne Herrera is the guy that I agree with you, Alex. You're not trading him for a high A ball player, but I do think you can include him in a package that gets you something that helps your major league roster in 2024. Coming up next, we're diving into the juncture here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trust wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out seven days a week. All right, let's dive into the junk drawer with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, I would like to discuss fatherhood with you here for just a moment. I became a, a new father about 10 days ago. Baby boy Luca was born. He is happy. He is healthy. He is peeing everywhere. <laughs> and this is right. what I wanted to discuss with you. What do I do, man? <laughs> Anytime that we take off the diaper, it is like a fountain. And it goes everywhere, man. And we have tried everything. We got the little... Um, little things that you put on him while you're changing him that like cover his private region to be able to, you know, cover yourself from the spray that is about to take place. Yeah. Um, I've tried like going with a nap pit style where you're immediately going from one diaper to the other. Yeah, that's impossible. Nothing works. Especially when there's Nothing poop works. there. Well, look, there's, there's some things that I just can't, 
um, relate to with you because um, I, I don't have to deal with that when I change I diapers. Uh, mine's typically an easy transition into another diaper. Uh, in fact, I'm starting potty training these days with my oldest. Nice. So you and I are on different wavelengths. My my thought process, if I ever have a boy, then I'd be able to uh, live this. Um I would imagine the NASCAR pit stop is the best way to go about it to where like you undo the diaper and you put the new diaper on really quick. But it sounds like uh, baby Luca, uh, as soon as that open air hits, the hose is just going to go and there's no stopping it. So my best bet would for you would be to find something to just block it from hitting you in the oh. face. See, I was dude. It's a, it's amazing. Like it is the most remarkable thing I have ever seen. He's like. He's like Shohei Otani of finding a way to pee through whatever it is that you've got in front of him. It's so funny. Because like, I thought that was going to be a major problem. I thought it was just like a baby thing. But like none of my daughters had that issue. Like I change them and I can sit there like now Emma just she'll crawl around with no diaper on for a couple of minutes while I get Adelaide settled. So I don't have to worry about that. Dude, it's, it's also like he's like a professional dodgeball player because like he waits till the exact right moment. Like you can, you can like leave it be, hold on, hold on, hold on. And then boom, you change it. And he's like, okay, now's my moment. He like feels the air coming through and he knows this is my time to pee all over daddy. (laughs) My God. I, I, like I said, I don't know how you do that because a class, you do the little trick route. If he can feel the air, you take off and then you quickly go back on. But see, here's the problem. That's fine. If there's no poop. But if you've got the number exactly. two in the diaper, you've exactly. got to take care of that yeah. before you even worry about the front part. Otherwise, it's getting everywhere. Uh, yeah, I didn't think of that. Yeah. So like, That's there's the problem. Yeah, there's no doing that. Have you tried the holding in the air and changing? You know what I'm saying? Like, you hold up and Kara changes the diaper fast enough to where... Then oh, the diaper... I'm talking about when you're on solo duty. Oh, yeah. You're on solo duty. Just plan to get peed on, man. Yeah, That's just going to be your life, apparently. Wear a face shield. Yeah. I had a I, I I had three different shirts that I wore last night. Uh, you should three. just you should just stick with the P shirt. Just keep wearing it. I, I thought about it, but yeah. it was so wet, Alex. Ah, it's fine. It wasn't an option. <laughs> it's fine. My uh, both of my girls were were faucets in terms of vomiting. So I just well, I got to the point like you where I, I was changing all the time, and then by like the first week, I said bleep it. I'm just gonna wear this puke shirt and smell like vomit for a couple of days. That yeah, we haven't gotten fun, to the vomit man. yet, but I'm I'm looking forward to that one. Honestly, That's gonna be great. I would take getting peed on over puked on any day of the week. Yeah, I think that I'm I'm right there with yeah, you. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service X line to get involved in the show. If you guys have any fatherhood advice for me, please <laughs> uh, feel free to th- send those in on the Air Comfort Service X line. If you are not doing so or have not done so yet, you can check us out on YouTube as well. We are at one hundred one ESPN STL. That's at one hundred one ESPN STL to check us out on YouTube. Coming up next, is there any concern? About the Cardinals swinging the pendulum too far in the other direction. We'll explain next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. next year if you've got Arenado and Goldschmidt and Jordan Walker their problem is not their lineup their problem is pitching and if they can get some pitching back even if it's not a blockbuster those are the moves that they should make 
Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Bob Costas on MLB Network the other day saying what we've all said. The Cardinals just need to improve this pitching staff by any means necessary. And Jim Bowden, Alex, said something very similar on The Athletic. He said, this is a seller's market and with so many contending teams in need of starting pitching, the Cardinals should do well. They should be shopping every outfielder not named Jordan Walker and every middle infielder on the roster. And in return... They should be asking for young starting pitchers in every trade that they make. Again, that comes from Jim Bowden, former Major League Baseball general manager, over on The Athletic the other day. Alex, I, I think that most Cardinals fans would probably agree with that sentiment. They look at it and they say, you know what? You have so many position players. Get rid of this glut of outfielders. Get rid of some of these guys that are future DHs and get pitching for all of them. Exclusively ask for pitching in return. And I think there's some truth to that. I do also wonder, though, if there is any concern of swinging that pendulum almost too far in the other direction. Because I think this is something that the Cardinals did a few years ago. They had Carlos Martinez and Lance Lynn and Michael Waka and Luke Weaver and Jack Flaherty. And at the time, you had Sandy Alcantara, you had Marco Gonzalez, you had a bunch of dudes in your system. This is five years ago that I'm talking about. Alex Reyes was on the way up. And then you ended up trading a bunch of those guys or you let them walk in free agency or some of them in, it didn't end up working out the way that you were expecting them to. And you added serious talent to the position player side of things. You started valuing more on the in the draft position players early on. You traded for Paul Goldschmidt. You traded for Nolan Arenado. You traded uh, for Marcelo Zuna. And in return, you sent off the surplus that you had on the pitching side of things. But it went too far. And now you have overloaded on the position player side and you don't have enough on the pitching side of things. Do you have any concern about them doing that again, but this time in reverse? I do have a concern with that just in terms of trying to go too aggressive on the pitching side of things. And we talked about this before to where when I look at this rotation, there needs to be a healthy mix of you acquiring talent for your rotation, but then also signing talent for your rotation, because you shouldn't look at this and say, okay, well, we need to overhaul our, our rotation and let's trade for five, five different guys. That's not going to benefit you because now your offense is going to take a massive hit. The way that I look at it is the healthy middle to where you go out there and find one really high expected young starting pitcher. My guy's been Logan Gilbert to put in that rotation and then the other spots that you're looking at, maybe you make some type of lower-level trade to a guy at AAA who could be a 3, 4, or 5, but the ace or the top guy and then another one that fills in between, those guys should be via free agency because the most you're giving up is draft pick compensation if it's a qualifying offer. And yeah, that sucks, but that player might not be con contributing to your team for three to five years. But there is a concern, BK, because you have all of this talent, and I'd be worried that the Cardinals try and make good with it too aggressively and it stunts their offensive growth to where we're asking the same thing next season but on the offensive side of it yeah I, I think it's fair to have some concern about it but that's why I would say like when they make these trades when they're trading Monty Hicks Flaherty like it shouldn't just be pitchers that are coming in return there should be probably a 70 30 split I would say in terms of the percentage of what you're getting is high upside arms that are in the minors that are hopefully close like in AAA or on the cusp of being in AAA for next season but they, they shouldn't just go all pitching because that is where you get stuck in terms of, okay, now we've really swung that pendulum the other way because they don't have, I, I mentioned this, I think it was during in, in, in or out, they don't have 
a lot of top prospects in terms of offensive pieces that are getting ready to come to the major leagues. Mason Wynn is the last one. All the other pieces are up. Walker's up. Gorman's up. Uh, Herrera is now up on the big league club right now. So they've also got to look at replenishing that. And that's why I think they went kind of 50-50 on outfielders pitchers in this year's draft was they want to make sure they avoid what we're talking about. But they also got to do that the same way when they, it comes to the deadline. Look, if there's an, I'm just going to use an outfield here as a, as a placeholder. But if there's an outfield prospect that they really like and a pitcher they really like, and maybe that third piece is like maybe another low-end pitcher, and a team says we're not going to get rid of him, okay, but we'll take an outfielder and we'll maybe take another position player. Like They've got to find this nice balance. It cannot just be we're trading Hicks, Monty, Jack, all for starting pitchers or pitchers in the minor league system because that's when you really swing that pendulum and fall into that trap that we're talking about. That's where, BK, I want to see them sell off these pieces to – update triple-A in terms of, or even double-A, in terms of bringing in guys that could contribute in 2024, but you're not relying on them. That's what those trade deadline assets can become. And then I want to see one aggressive move, one blockbuster deal where you're dealing some offensive roster players to get that stud of a young starting pitcher. Then you can go into free agency trying to isolate one big area, which is finding that ace and then you've got some talent in the minors that can come up and you kind of fill in the other voids via free agency. But guess what? You're going to have to spend money. And if the Cardinals aren't willing to do that, then your problem becomes even more massive. So I agree with both of you guys. And I would also say, like, just to get more specific, I'm training Dylan Carlson for pitching. I'm training Paul DeYoung for pitching. Now, not all of these guys are going to be starting pitchers. I should add that. Your bullpen also needs a significant overhaul right now. So, like, Paul DeYoung, you're not getting a, a top-level pitcher, but you could probably get a guy that projects to eventually be a bullpen arm. So that's what I'm targeting there. Tyler O'Neill, same thing. Juan Yepes, same thing. I'm potentially adding uh, Yvonne Herrera into a package to get a really solid starting pitching pitcher. I'm doing that with Dylan Carlson. And then that aggressive move that you mentioned, Alex... That's coming by including one of the following into it. Tommy Edmond, Lars Nupar, Brendan Donovan, or Nolan Gorman. I think out of that f- group of four players, you trade one of them. And that is how you go out there and make that aggressive move that you're talking about. Because when you do, you still have Contreras, Goldie, let's say Gorman or Donovan or Edmond at second base. Arenado, Wynn, Walker, Burleson, Newt Bar, Donovan potentially in the outfield. Like You've still got a starting lineup that is more than capable available to you. And I have just completely overhauled the minor and potentially major league pitching staff as well. And I didn't even mention any of the pitchers that you're going to be trading at this year's deadline. That is one, two, three, four, five, six guys, position players that are on your 40-man roster that I think you should be moving either at the deadline or this offseason. Yeah, and we asked the question a lot last week, BK, and talked about it of what does an ideal trade deadline look like for this Cardinals team? To me, the the sellable assets, the Hicks, the Montgomery, the Flaherty, the Paul DeYoungs, the Tyler O'Neills, get young pitching, whether it's double-A AA or triple-A in return, so that you can replenish that so you have more guys to use next season. But I want to see one aggressive move that includes Newpar, Edmund, Donovan, Gorman, somebody in that ilk to bring in a Logan Gilbert-esque type pitcher. So then going into the offseason, I have chipped off those pieces, 
my rotation as it stands as an offseason team is Michaelis as a two, Gilbert as a three, and if Steven Matz pans out, he's going to be a five for me, or maybe a four at best. Now, I'm looking at one, and I'm looking at five to address via free agency, or maybe there's another trade that comes into play, but that is a lot more doable than just selling off pieces and saying, guess what? Now we got to sign a one, a three, a five, and we got to sign multiple guys in our bullpen and still figure out what we're going to do with all of these pieces. That's an ideal trade deadline for me. Target one of these pitchers that you need with roster players and then bring in controllable younger assets for the pieces that you're trading off. I think the Cardinals should trade at least 10 players from their 40-man roster at the deadline. I'll support that because I support said that six too. on. I said six on the active. I mean, roster. I mean, let's go down that forty-man roster real quick. I, there, I've got it ready for you. Yeah, Alex. hit me with you it. Ready? Yeah. Position players, you guys, just tell me a quick yes or no on if you think that this player should be traded, not will, should be traded at the deadline. Carlson. Yes. yes. DeYoung. Yes. O'Neill. Yes. Yes. Yepes. Yes. One of Edmund, Newtbar, Donovan, or Gorman. Yes. yes. Herrera. Yes. Mm. We'll see. No, uh, I almost hesitated. That, that was one that I used as a question mark. Cabrera. <laughs> well, well, either way, he won't be here. So, yes. Yes. Right. Flaherty. Yes. Monty. Yes. Hicks. Yes. Stratton. Yes. Verhagen. Yes. Yeah. I'm cutting well, bait with it all. Who wants a broken And maybe Helsley. Yeah. That's, I, I just gave you 13 names. Ten of them should be gone. By the time that we're talking on August 3rd. Be aggressive. Be e aggressive. Yeah. yeah. You I, that, I right? know that I, I know that people are probably going to hear that and they say to themselves, BK, that's 25% of the roster. How are you doing that? Figure it out. Yeah. Figure it out. That That is the job of John Mosellock. And I, I know that not all of that necessarily has to be done at the deadline. It's possible some of this roster reshuffling can be, can take place during the off season. Maybe there are, there are, opportunities that exist in the offseason that are not currently there. But those are the guys that need to be put on the trade block in in some capacity or another. And I think that is how you are able to remake this roster in a way that makes sense for the team to become a contender again in 2024. Yeah, I, I know that sounds really aggressive on our front of trading all of these pieces away, but you really do. If you're competing for 2024, you need to clean sheet this. You need to start from scratch so that when you go into the off season, I can name, guess what? Our right fielder is Jordan Walker. Our left fielder is Lars Nupar. Our second baseman is Nolan Gorman. We've got a utility guy. We know what first and third base and the catcher position looks like. I've got Michaelis. I've got Matt's. Now I fill in these blanks. I can't go into the offseason and say, well, we've got 35 guys in our roster and we'll figure out where they're going to play. No, you need to be specific in how you're addressing this in the offseason, which is why I really want them to target somebody in that one or three range via trade at the deadline so that the offseason is a lot more achievable than thinking we've got to fill five different areas via free agency because that's going to be tougher to do. He's Alex Ferrario, that's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. The uh, Major League Baseball trade deadline just a couple of weeks away. I think that at least 10 different guys should be traded prior to that deadline. We'll talk to Katie Wu about the Cardinals' plans and what her understanding is of this Henesis Cabrera situation. He was designated for assignment earlier today. We'll get Katie's insight on that coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so. But coming up next... We're going to go ahead and get into some NFL quick hitters, including a former pro bowler that has officially changed teams. He's announced where he's going to be playing next season. Does it change at all the complexion of the AFC? We'll discuss it next year on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson. I am Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. It is time for some NFL quick hitters. Boys, the big news in the NFL yesterday was that DeAndre Hopkins has officially made his intentions known. He is going to be playing for the Tennessee Titans this upcoming season. Alex, he went with the highest bidder. It's very simple. He went to the place that ended up giving him the most money. He's going to be making $12 million guaranteed for this upcoming season. It's a two-year deal for him. The question that I've got for you, does this change at all your expectations in the AFC this year? I think it makes it a lot more attainable for the Titans to be one of the top dogs in that division. It really just comes down to frankly, the health of all of these guys, because I'd be a little concerned if Hopkins, Henry and Tannehill can all stay healthy for an entire season, because if they can, to me, they're one of the top dogs in that division. That remains to be seen. The first thing I thought of, though, when it was the Titans BK was, of course, he's going for the money. But man, Tennessee looks desperate to make up for the wrong that they did in terms of not paying and keeping A.J. Brown. And so you Get rid of a younger wide receiver that should have been a part of your core moving forward. And now you're bringing in an older wide receiver to hope he can keep you in contention. This feels like the last push of a desperate team before things really change for Tennessee. Can they be better than the Jaguars this year? I think that's really the question because, like, I agree. Yeah, they can be one of the top dogs in the division, but the division includes the Jaguars, the Colts, and the Texans. <laughs> that's not exactly a great division to be playing in. It's like playing in the NL Can they <laughs> overtake the Jaguars at the top of that division? I, I think they can. I, I mean, you were talking about, what, two wins, and you were in the same ilk as the Jaguars last season, and I'd say DeAndre Hopkins is good for at least two more wins on a team like Tennessee. So, yeah, I would say that they can at least compete. I don't think it's clear cut. The Titans are better than the Jaguars. I'd still lean towards Jacksonville, but it definitely makes it more competitive than what it was last year. See, I I don't think they can take that division. I don't think they're going to be able to take down the Jaguars because I understand they were close last year. I think the Jaguars take that next step this year with Trevor Lawrence. I I think when you look at Tennessee, I think they just lock themselves into second place and still missing the playoffs in that AFC South. So I'd. I can understand the rationale of the move, but I think you're right. I think it was a desperate move to prove the wrong of A.J. Brown, and it's not—it's too little too late. I don't think they're a playoff team still. I think I agree with T-Bone. I, I don't think that they're as good as the Jaguars, and I think the biggest reason is because of the thing that we always overlook, and that's the offensive line. I don't think their offensive line is good enough right now, and that's going to be the thing that ends up taking down their season. I do think they're going to be a team that nobody wants to play, though. They've got a really good head coach in Mike Vrabel, and I think they'll be around that eight or nine win threshold this year and there's going to be a couple of games where they go up against like Miami or Seattle or uh, Cincinnati and they end up making those games a lot closer than anybody expects that's a team that I'm going to be betting on a lot this year to cover the spread I don't know about winning that division though I would still certainly side with the Jacksonville Jaguars I completely forgot about Calvin Ridley too on that team so yeah maybe I'll change my answer on that (laughs) Guys, today is the franchise tag deadline. Final thing that I wanted to get to as we go through some NFL quick hitters. It has officially been reported uh, that the Cowboys are not going to extend. They're not going to re-sign on a long-term deal. Uh, They're running back that they decided to franchise tag. 
There's also been no update so far with Saquon Barkley and the New York Giants. Same thing is true for Josh Jacobs and the Las Vegas Raiders. Those are the three big ones. Do you guys think this is just the way that teams are going to treat the running backs moving forward? You get your four years out of them, and then year five, you go under that franchise tag if you weren't a former first-round pick. Yeah, it seems pretty likely that that's the route that things are going now, especially for how teams view the running backs, and you could get them through the draft. The Tony Pollard one was very interesting to me, though, because I would have sworn that they were going to give him some type of contract just because you made the decision with Tony Pollard. You're walking away from Ezekiel Elliott, but... Again, the Cowboys are probably looking at this like every other team is. You figure you go year by year until you can't afford it, and then you let it walk, and you bring in the next one, especially for how the Cowboys, the Giants need the running back situation because if they don't get a replacement for Saquon, boy, are they going to be awful in the next couple of years. Yeah, I, I think this is the way teams are going to have to go about it because I think it is the smart way. You can always find a running back. I mean, the Kansas City Chiefs just had a seventh-round pick as their running back this year to go yep. win the Super Bowl. So you can find them anywhere. And that's just tough love for the running backs. I think they're going to play on their rookie deals. If they're good enough, get that franchise tag and then go out and be lost at sea with the other free agents in the running back class. Yeah, that's where I'm at on it as well. The running backs that are making more than $10 million per year. Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, Joe Mixon, Aaron Jones. I think that the uh, Bengals would love to get out of that contract if they could. I think that if you had them on truth serum, the Packers probably would as well. Although I, I really like Aaron Jones as a running back. If you aren't Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, I'm not giving you big-time money, and those players are few and far between. I'll go ahead and go year-to-year with you. If you're a really good running back, you're getting that one-year deal. I think these uh, teams are playing it smart. I understand why the players would like to get the multi-year contract. Unfortunately, this is just the way that it works at that position. Katie Wu, Cardinals insider for The Athletic, joins us next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big pen. The Miami Marlins are back in town tonight against the St. Louis Cardinals. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. If you haven't checked us out yet, you can do so over on YouTube at 101 ESPN STL. And right now, we're going out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by our friend and the Cardinals insider for The Athletic. She is the one that reported earlier today that Hennessy Cabrera has officially been designated for assignment. She is Katie Wu joining us here on the show. Katie, we appreciate the time as always. Let's start there. What happened with Hennessy Cabrera to lead to him being designated for assignment? Yeah, let's start there, but not before we say a big hearty congratulations to you, BK, on becoming a dad. Baby Luca is beautiful, and I'm so happy for you and your family. Well, thank you. But let's get to Cabrera. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Um. I think this is more of a sign of where the Cardinals are shifting their prerogatives going forward. But I will say it's incredibly surprising that the Cardinals opted to DFA Cabrera simply because, yes, the numbers have not been great, the ERA and the whip especially. But he is a left-handed reliever with high-leverage stuff, good below, good spin, and contending teams would be willing to take a risk on him. So the Cardinals essentially could have traded him, and, you know, they still can. They have seven days to trade a player once they DFA him. But it was perplexing to see that move roll out in the way that it did. 
So with that happening, Katie, is this kind of the beginning of the end for a lot of these guys in the bullpen? Do you see this bullpen looking massively different in the next couple of weeks? Absolutely. Um, And I've talked about this before a little bit in in trade deadline pieces, but bullpens, relief pitchers, are essentially, their value is always the highest at the trade deadline, especially if they're good, because contending teams want those high-leverage guys that have proven they've been good in a season. Relievers are so finicky. They're so up and down. You can have an all-star season in 2022 and be bottom of the barrel the following season. We've seen that with a variety of guys around the league. So if you're a contending team and you're looking to capitalize, you go for the relievers at the trade deadline. Um, And Cabrera was just one of those names being talked about. Chris Stratton, Jordan Hicks, Giovanni Gallegos. I would put Ryan Helsley in there, but since he's been injured, I'm not quite sure his value would be as high. But I think right now, when you're looking at how the bullpen is being used, pay attention to roles. We saw Hennessy's Cabrera fall from a high-leverage role to being used essentially uh, when the game had already more or less been decided. And I think we'll get a good glimpse of where the Cardinals value their relievers and where other teams are valuing their relievers in the next few weeks going forward. Katie, when we talk about the Cardinals' trade deadline, much of the discussion is centered on the players that are pending free agents, so specifically Montgomery, Flaherty, Hicks, and DeYoung as four players that fit into that criteria. Do you think that any of those four will be back with the Cardinals in 2024? Montgomery, Flaherty, Hicks, DeYoung, any of those four? Oh, this is a good question. Um, I would go, just speculation solely, if I had to wager one, it would be Montgomery. Now, we've talked a lot about the uh, Cardinals need to trade starting pitching. Flaherty's up there, of course. Montgomery's up there, and we'll go on and on about Hicks, I'm sure. But I think there's also an argument to be made that if the Cardinals decide to not trade Jordan Montgomery and keep him and decide to uh, offer him a qualifying offer at the end of the year, that could also be a method that they use in the future. I don't think they would use that same method with Flaherty, especially given how great he's been pitching over his last four or five starts. I think there's some real significant value there. But I think Jordan Montgomery fits this team for the long haul, um, maybe a little bit more than Flaherty does. And I can see the Cardinals with starting pitching being so scarce, um, both at the trade deadline this year and on the free agent market, maybe seeing what they can do to offer Jordan Montgomery a qualifying offer. I think Montgomery likes St. Louis. I know he's a Boris guy, and historically Scott Boris clients um, are usually encouraged to test the open waters in free agency. So it wouldn't surprise me if Montgomery ends up declining that hypothetical QO, but I can see the Cardinals taking a shot and, and trying to convince Jordan Montgomery to stay because I really think he fits this club well and he enjoys being here. Could you see a scenario, Katie, where they trade Montgomery and then bring him back via free agency? Um, I would have to be convinced that ownership would be willing to spend that money, but we've, we've heard it from John Mozeliak uh, that changes need to be made, perhaps. I, I don't know. I don't know how believable this is for Cardinals fans. That means spending a little more money. But, you know, again, I think Montgomery really fits what the Cardinals are looking for going forward. And maybe if they're willing to open the wallets a little bit more, that's a big, maybe that's a big stretch. I could see them retaining him. Katie Wu is our guest. You can find her work over at The Athletic. She's done some mailbags recently at The Athletic. You can also follow her on Twitter to find all of her great work. At Katie J. Wu. Katie, we've been talking a little bit today about Dylan Carlson as well and how he fits in to the Cardinals both long and short term. What is your opinion 
on where Dylan Carlson fits into this mix and what his future holds in St. Louis? You know, I'll be I'll be honest. Uh, I'm I'm a Dylan Carlson enthusiast, and how he's been used this year has been perplexing to me. I think it's he's more or less a product of just position log jams. I mean, the Cardinals have so many outfielders; it's hard to play them every, each one every single day, and that's even with Tyler O'Neill on the injured list. But Dylan Carlson, I think, over the last year has really gotten the short end of the stick. He was playing through an injury in the second half of 2022, already facing immense pressure because the front office more or less said they believed in him and he wasn't going anywhere. And now they're trying, he's trying to play through an injury the whole second half and it really uh, impacted his performance. 2023, they started the season with their projected outfielder with Newbar, O'Neill, and Carlson. Of course, Jordan Walker comes up and he's going to play, right? That was always going to be a consequence to one of the other outfielders if Jordan Walker came up. But throughout the 2023 season, I don't think Dylan Carlson has been given a fair shot to go out there and, and get the playing time that I think he would have on nearly any other team, including contending teams. He's athletic. He can play all three spots. I know the metrics say otherwise, but my eye test, you know, because that matters, uh, I think that he's their best defensive center fielder, uh, not named Tommy Edmond. And I know that he's pretty splitty as a split, uh, uh, switch hitter. But to me, I think that also comes with a lack of consistency. He really hasn't gotten a lot of opportunities. And when he was getting everyday playing time, he sprained his ankle. So for me, I think that Dylan Carlson, I'm not sure the Cardinals have a long-term view for him, but I'll go out and say it. If they do trade Carlson at the deadline because he's a valuable asset, teams are going to ask about him. It would be maybe two years before he's an all-star with that other team. So speaking of roles and how they fit in, Katie, we talked earlier about Ivan Herrera. It's pretty obvious Wilson Contreras is their guy, but the more we're seeing Ivan Herrera, is your opinion starting to change on what his role could be moving forward? Yes, this um, the three-catcher situation is another perplexing thing this team is doing at the moment, uh, mainly because if you signed a catcher for the next five years and then proclaimed him to be their primary catcher, and all of a sudden you have two reserves, the math doesn't really check out there. Um, but at the same time, the Cardinals have been needing to see what they have in Herrera for a while. I think last year he was brought up prematurely where he wasn't necessarily ready. And both the organization and Herrera himself admitted that this year, that you know maybe he was a little rushed, he wasn't quite ready to be up. We're seeing a different Herrera, both stats-wise and behind the plate. I mean, he's that high-quality Fastball hitter, good contact. We've seen that in his at-bats. He calls a good game. He's much more aware of what's going on with his pitching staff than he was last year. There's still going to be growing pains, but I've been impressed in the limited time that we've seen Herrera. And as Ollie Marmel said, he's warranted more playing time just in that short window. What that means for Contreras, maybe that will continue seeing what we've been seeing in the last couple of weeks. He'll DH some. But that complicates the matters, of course, with Brendan Donovan not being able to play the field in the middle of his throwing program. So, really, the Cardinals right now have two DHs and three catchers on the roster. And what does that mean for Andrew Kisner? Because he's actually been having a really good season as well, especially offensively. So, I'm not quite sure what this means for Herrera going forward. I do know the Cardinals needed a chance to see what he had when he was ready. Um, I can't imagine them carrying three catchers in the second half. I think that would just be a waste of a roster spot. So, we're going to have to see what happens with Herrera or Kisner at this deadline. So, it's going well for the Cardinals. 
In other words, the Cardinals have some difficult decisions to be made (laughs) that they've been putting off for, oh, I don't know, like two and a half years now. Katie, we appreciate the time as always. (laughs) (laughs) We will be reading your work over at The Athletic and following Katie on Twitter at KatieJWu. Katie, enjoy the series against Miami. We'll be talking with you again next week. You got it, guys. Thanks so much. See you, Katie. Absolutely. That's Katie Wu joining us here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate the time. Alex, she said something really interesting there about Dylan Carlson and about Jordan Montgomery. I want to get to both of those, and we're going to give you a chance to win a prize on the other side here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. been nice to be back with you guys today on a Monday alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. If you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers coming up in about five minutes or so. We'll give you a chance to see Foreigner with special guest Loverboy this Wednesday night at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. But Alex, if people go back to the podcast page, they'll find our interview with Katie Wu that we just completed I want to get to a couple of things that she said there. First of all, what she said about Jordan Montgomery and the possibility that he is not traded at the deadline. And it is set instead a guy that the Cardinals decide that they want to keep here long term. I guess my question would be, are you comfortable giving Jordan Montgomery a five-year deal worth $100 million? Because I think that's probably somewhere in the range of what he's going to be offered on the open market. He's been a really good pitcher here in St. Louis. Over the last few seasons, he has an ERA of about three and a half. Alex, is that something that you would consider instead of trading him at the deadline? No, because that's going to be $20 million per year, and I know that's how the Cardinals view it, and that's $20 million less that they're going to be willing to spend elsewhere. And Jordan Montgomery, if they do that, they're basically labeling Jordan Montgomery or Miles Michaelis as their ace, their number one, and then the other guy is their number two. And then I don't believe they're going to upgrade this rotation. You might just be doing the same thing. So, no, I wouldn't. I would still try and trade him, and I would find a way to accomplish making a trade for a younger pitcher and then signing the money plus a little bit more of what you would have done with Montgomery for a higher-end starter like a Blake Snell or an Aaron Nola via free agency. Yeah, I, I wouldn't give him a contract extension either. I, I just think, and I said this with Jack Flair when we were talking about him earlier in the show, there just needs to be change, and that's okay because this, this rotation is not working out. Montgomery's going to be maybe the third-best pitcher on the market. Take advantage of this asset that you have that you can sell. I, I think you just part ways with him, and you know what? It just didn't work out for you here in his time in St. Louis. Trade him for some assets to help kind of retool things on the fly in 2024. That's where I'm at as well. If this wasn't a team that needed anything else, like if they just – you needed one thing and it was a mid-tier starter, I would be more than happy to go ahead and give Jordan Montgomery the money and you say, you know what, let's just go ahead and run it back next year. Because Jordan Montgomery is a really good pitcher. You know what you've got with him. He has been incredibly consistent, but that's not what they need. They they need a front-end starter, and that means going out there and paying the big bucks for somebody. And that's going to require them 
having a gut punch moment of spending 25 plus million dollars on a six plus year deal for one of these starting pitchers on the free agent market and it might fail spectacularly but that's what it's going to require so I, I would not do it with Jordan Montgomery as much as I would like to keep him around I think you're gonna you're gonna look at him somewhere else and say I wish we still had that guy but it's going to be done for a reason. The other thing that she said, Alex, just really quickly, she said that she thinks if Dylan Carlson were to be traded, he would in a couple of years become an all-star wherever he ends up going. What do you think it would take from Dylan Carlson in order for you to regret that trade? Probably that, an all-star, a consistent all-star elsewhere. But again, if I'm trading him, I'm getting... Regretting it is if he goes somewhere and is a consistent all-star, and in return, I got a pitcher that I thought was going to be better than he was, i.e. Matthew Libertor. That would be the moment that I would regret it because if he tra- if I trade him and he becomes an all-star elsewhere, but I got a guy who projects as a number three in my rotation, awesome. Gr- good for him, even better for me. But if I trade him and he gets that, and then I bring in somebody who is supposed to be a three but then eventually is just a triple-A pitcher, then I'm going to regret that trade. If he goes on and becomes for somebody else what Lane Thomas has been for the Nationals. I'd love to have Lane Thomas right now. I wouldn't be upset about it. That's not a consistent all-star. Look, his numbers are good. Look, you may love to have that in the outfield. But if I can get like a cost control number three in a rotation that desperately needs arms and needs some swing and miss, I, look, I, I'm not going to regret that trade. He'd have to be a consistent all-star for me to really regret that. Yeah, you got to be better than Lane Thomas. I think it's twofold. I think one, it's about what you get in return for him. And two, it's about what your your outfielders get do. I think it's not at all about what Dylan Carlson is. I think right now, nobody would be talking about Lane Thomas if Dylan Carlson or Lars Newtbar were performing at the level that we all expected them to be. Or if Tyler O'Neill was healthy and was performing this year. Nobody would be looking at that and saying, ah, man, Lane Thomas is the one that got away. Oh. So... I don't think it's really about him. I don't think it's about his performance. I think it's about what the Cardinals end up doing internally that will determine how people view that deal. All right, 101 ESPN right now and the next couple of days has your chance to score a pair of tickets to see Foreigner with special guest Loverboy. This is going to be on Wednesday night at Hollywood Casino Casino Amphitheater. Tickets for the historic farewell tour are on sale now. Or you can text in, be texture number 101 at 314-399-9646 to win free tickets to see Foreigner. All the details are at 101 ESPN.com. Here's the question that you need to ask. Earlier today, I said that my baby boy does one thing that I cannot figure out. What is that thing? If you are texting number 101 with the answer to that question, you are going to see Forner and the Lover Boy on Wednesday night at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Like I said, it's been fantastic to be back with you guys. Missed you very much. It is good to be back with the guys. I will be back in tomorrow live from my home studio. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, who both did a great job holding things down in the studio, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.